Welcome to SkyCast episode 44, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing the season 7 premiere from The Ashes. Sure will. Yep. <laughs> uh, how are we feeling? Uh, you know, it's been an interesting few weeks. I think there's just been a lot of bad feelings that have been cycling around the fandom um, for several reasons and that definitely kind of leaked into this episode. I know both you and me and we can talk about this are are trying to emotionally distance ourselves a little bit Um, but in terms of like me truly trying to give an an, as unbiased opinion as possible about this episode I think it's mediocre. I would agree. I think this episode is mediocre to be generous. Um, I definitely have a harder time which will surprise absolutely no one um, separating my emotions. (laughs) (laughs) I, I am upset. You will hear it throughout this episode. I'm warning you now. Uh, I have a lot of feelings and a lot of them are not good. Um, I have a lot of positive feelings. There are a lot of things about this episode that stand that stood out to me in a really positive way. Mm-hmm. But I would say overall, I'm not feeling great. And a lot of that is because of um, a lot of the stuff that we've learned about this season, yeah. just like outside of the actual episode, um, which is making me feel really nasty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so let, so let's talk about Bob Morley yeah. because we have this tweet here um, that you should read. I will read this. Um, so, D. Pankard. Jo- I think it's at D. Pankard Joshi too. Okay, okay. Sorry, I'm terrible with names. Um, he says, or they say, I don't know what to feel about this season. Having waited for seven years of hashtag Bellark and not knowing whether it would happen or not is really hampering the viewing experience. I was able to enjoy the app. I wasn't able to enjoy the episode after being emotionally invested from so many years. What to do. And what to do indeed. Um, So I I wanted to include this in the episode because I think it does encapsulate what a lot of us are feeling right now, um, given that Bob Morley isn't going to be in at least part of this season. We really don't know how prevalent he will actually be in the season at all. Um, And Jason has come out and said that Bob asked to take time off which I don't I'm like I'm sure happened yeah I'm sure that that happened but I'm also sure that's not the whole story so it also begs the question of like you know I think Bob has been amazingly open and vulnerable to his fans and um really brave in talking about his depression and other mental illnesses and anxiety which I think is a wonderful thing because I Mm -hmm. think it's just something that needs to be talked about more um but it makes me question like what was happening the nature of filmmaking and production itself where he wanted to take a break yeah I and I I truly don't appreciate the way that all of the marketing this season has really ignored Bob Morley and I know that like theoretically if he's not there for a lot of the season he's not there but I do think they could have pushed more of the like find Bellamy where's Bellamy other than just like leaving him out of literally everything absolutely and like I was saying to you every day I bet in including yesterday um I have a really hard time being excited about the ending and like our final stride toward the ends of this series as a whole because Bellark is the soul I mean romantic or not platonic or not irrelevant the two of them together their relationship their dynamic is the soul the beating heart of this series and without them 
together or working toward each other or with each other it feels incomplete and it feels like a different show yeah so I I guess I just want to say up front that this is the first season I'm going into where I'm like I don't think Bell Arc is going to happen I find that wild just given what they've written in the last six seasons six plus seasons but I just don't think it's going to happen anymore and I think that is because of a lot of external factors um, that have nothing to do with what they've written because as we've seen they've written it very much in one direction and they're they're seeming to go in a a different direction um, for season seven so I have definitely just tried I'm I'm trying to distance myself Um, there are still characters in the show that I love I mean like Clark herself I will just always be obsessed with her I love her so much and that doesn't take away from like any of the other storylines or characters that we've known for seven seasons or less that we're still obsessed with, that we still love. Um, but sure, I, I, without the bell arc of it all, it is a huge gaping hole. It, it is, it's like a wormhole in the middle of this show <laughs> that every that all gravity centers around. Um, and without it, the, the show feels a little unanchored. Um, yeah. And I'm very emotionally distraught. I mean, I won't lie to you. I'm upset. Like, period end yeah. of sentence I am upset I've been upset I've cried <laughs> I cried <laughs> writing this episode sorry in advance I'm probably Did you wait I missed that oh my god yeah that's why I told you the other day I was like I'm gonna cry when we record because I started crying when we were writing it <laughs> <laughs> we sat here and did this together and I still missed that she doesn't notice when I cry um, um but and you, I mean we'll, we'll talk about it more as the season progresses and at this point we've only seen one episode yeah I so. know it's it's true I I also don't think Bellark is gonna happen but I have already been on that train for a very very long that's time that's not true that's not true because if you were on that train you would not be so upset right I'm now I'm very very upset you, you've definitely tried to play devil's advocate but deep down you've always thought it was going to happen we all I mean I like just, a like, lot of us couldn't did. imagine that it wouldn't happen I know exactly but it's, I was like trying to delude myself into being like it's not gonna happen just as the worst case scenario but unfortunately like I think that's where it's gonna go so so anyway so I'm gonna try to focus as much as possible on the good things this season and this episode did have a lot of promising um it it opened up a lot of promising avenues that I'm super excited about so that's what I'm focusing on I'm gonna try to stay positive after this like little discussion that we had we can have like a mid-season check-in and kind of see how we feel by then yeah it's a good idea um but until then let's just we've said our piece yeah and now we're just gonna focus on this episode I agree um before we get into everything I wanted to send out a special thank you to um I'm gonna butcher this again Koella for their <laughs> wonderful review on iTunes. Um, thank you also to everybody who tweeted at us over the break and who's tweeted at us since um, the episode first ran. We love hearing from you. We always, always want to hear from you. You can always email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. Um, and then also one last thing, please take a moment to go write and review us on iTunes. It helps other fans of The 100 find us. Um, and we we need more fans than ever right now. Yeah. We need support. We need so much support. <laughs> we need a lot of emotional support. So <laughs> please go write and review us. Thank you and thank you. Um, and let's jump into the recap. Yeah. Our last first episode of the season. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned because we have some predictions at the end. Yeah. So we open right where we left off with Bellamy screaming for Octavia after she was stabbed and sucked into the anomaly until he's knocked out and dragged away by some invisible force. Echo tries to follow, but she too gets knocked around by the same invisible attackers. Back in the tent, Hope wakes up and escapes from Gabriel, and then Gabriel and Echo take off after Bellamy. So first off, 
what in the actual hell? <laughs> I mean, we all we all knew this was coming. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think anyone was blindsided by Bellamy get, getting kidnapped. And, and if I, you I, were, I'm sorry. I like, had theorized even in our trailer that he was being dragged by, like, I, I didn't know, I didn't really imagine it as, like, people who had invisibility cloaks on, but... You stole my joke. No, I didn't. That was my joke. No, it was not. Yes, it was. It is in my section. It was my joke. I wrote it. I wrote it. This is what happens, guys, when you live with someone for too long. Our jokes have merged. <laughs> Sometimes we speak in identical sentences. We've merged into one person. Um, but, so this was definitely kind of... This is my joke. Opening... It was not her joke. Opening with a bang. Um, and a bang that I didn't love. And Bob, or... Bellamy, but also Bob. If it was Bob, it could have been a body I think double. It was a, I think it was a body double. Um, but that person being dragged around was, I don't think it was supposed to look funny, no. but it looked hilarious. But it was, <laughs> it was comedy. Yeah. It, it wasn't supposed to be comedy, but it was. I was laughing. I was too. And it wasn't supposed to be funny, but it definitely was the way they filmed it. it I was I was embarrassed for ridiculous. them. Ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a lot of, like, quote unquote magic in this scene. Like, for a sci-fi show, it was very, like, magical. You know, I think uh, this being cut right um, after the the previously on where um, Octavia gets stabbed and there's this, like, green flash of light and then she gets, like, sucked into the <laughs> anomaly and then followed immediately by Bob being – or Bellamy being dragged around by invisible forces. It was like, what show am I on? Yeah, it, it was, was some genre-bending stuff and I don't think in a good way um, – it was a lot. It was right a, at the very it was beginning. It was a lot. It was a lot. Um, and I, I, I mean, like we've said our thing about Bellamy, and he's obviously gone. But I, I, the season, the opening, it was a bit too much for me. Like I kind of wanted to like ease into it a little bit more than yeah. Bellamy like getting kidnapped right in the first scene. Well, I think what's really hard about this, and we can talk about this later too, is is that these um. These two uh, sections they have going on, the Echo, Gabriel, and Hope section versus the Clark and the rest of Sanctum section Mm -hmm. are completely disjointed, right? They have nothing to do with each other. There's no pondering of like, oh, I hope Bellamy's okay, or I wonder what Echo's doing, or I miss Octavia, or, you know, I wish Gabriel were here to decode this, or vice versa. I wish wish, uh, Jordan was here to help with this, like, tech thing, or Raven to help code something. There was it was like they were they were existing in two different shows with absolutely no crossover and so having Bob exist only in this first opening and then have nobody acknowledge him in the other section at all it felt like okay that was it just felt over and quick very very quickly in in this episode yeah I'm really glad you brought that up because I was thinking as I was watching it there should have been mentions on both, both sides, sides of the storylines to tie them together because they felt so disparate. It was kind of like, as you said, we were watching two different shows. Yeah. And it it, it was kind of, it's poor writing in a way to not connect your storylines in that way. And especially from um, the Sanctum side, because it could have been something as simple as like, we saved Bellamy and Echo a room or something like that, totally. you know? Absolutely. And they just glossed right over it. And I think that's, a testament again to how exclusive they were to the Bellamy character overall is they just are not incorporating him in the marketing and from what I can tell in the rest of this 
I mean, not all in this episode, but also, like, an indication of, like, what the rest of the season is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. Um, so switching gears here. So we learn later that these are, like, time pirates. These invisible attackers are the time pirates that we talked about in our trailer review. Um, and I'm wondering how the show's going to explain their invisibility cloaks or if they're even going to try. Oh, my God. You did write this joke first. Yes, I, I wrote, did. I wrote this later, though, but I didn't see this. <laughs> see, I guys? made the same joke. <laughs> uh, they Sorry. are invisibility cloaks. It's, like, hardly a joke. It's right there in the palm of your hand, you know? <laughs> it was a low-hanging fruit. But, like, this show, I think, always tries to offer some sort of explanation for how things work, even if it's, you know... The basic of the basic. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if we're going to get a little bit more about how this technology functions. Oh, I'm sure we will. And I'm excited to hear about it. I like when they do the timey-wimey, like, hand-wavy <laughs> pseudoscience stuff. Yeah. Um, and then we get to Gabriel. And my love, he wasted no time in studying Hope's markings. He's like, like I'm just going to strap you down, get my microscope out, look at all your markings. It's... Like, Octavia disappeared, like, less than five minutes ago, right? right. <laughs> He's like, here, Hope, lay, lay down. I'll give you a nice cushion. Also, could you move a little to the left? <laughs> yeah, that's better. The light. I just, I just, I need the light. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute. I, I am, I am obsessed with Gabriel's obsession with the anomaly. I feel like it's reached an, a whole new level, which just makes him more adorable. Yeah. Um. I mean, he's practically giddy with all this new code and markings to work with here he's Um, so excited and he's just in love every new piece of information he is he's ready I mean like this is my new OTP like like I had to replace the Bellark hole (laughs) the chasm with something and it's gonna be Gabriel with his code and I'm gonna call it goad goad (laughs) long live goad (laughs) goad forever this is how I will that was also my joke that we'll get to later. Um, Forever is something I say all the time. Oh my God. You guys, we are so out of practice. Also, like, we've been holed up. I should, we should have mentioned this at we the We should have. I forgot that we're in quarantine. Right, we're in quarantine. <laughs> we haven't left this house in, like, three months, truly. And uh, we have gone crazy. Yeah, it's just <laughs> us in here. We have the anomaly sickness or whatever it is ourselves. Um, <laughs> it's bad. It's really bad. Um. But yes, Goad, I think, is one ship that will not disappoint us. Yeah, this no, season. it's it's already sailed. So yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. I think we can like truly put all of our faith, shipping, hopes, and dreams our into Goad. Fervor into Goad. Yeah, and we won't be disappointed. I agree. I'm I'm on on, <laughs> on board. Um so Gabriel comes out of the tent after Hope kind of kicks his ass. Uh and he's like, Oh, time is not behaving. Um and I wanted to ask what you think that means because it felt so out of place here in this Oh scene. my god, right? It was like, time is misbehaving. And I was like, how would you know if it was misbehaving? Well, like, how yeah, would you, what does that mean? What about this situation here feels like time is misbehaving? Right. I, mean, I, I guess I saw no indication that time was acting funny. I guess the only thing he could be thinking of is like the fact that Hope is now an adult. And I guess he knew that Dioza's kid was going to be named Hope. So yeah. maybe he's, like, recalling that. But, like, when he said it, in the situation he was saying it in, yeah, it made no, no sense. It, like, I was like, I don't see any indication that time is moving differently. But maybe he was talking about Hope. I don't yeah. know. So we come in on a beautiful, very earthly yellow house outside of Sanctum. Gaia and Maddie approach, and Clark comes out of the house to meet them, telling Maddie that this is their new home. 
When Maddie goes inside, Clark and Gaia reaffirm their decision not to tell one crew that Maddie is no longer the commander because they don't want to cause un additional unrest. Indra and Gaia will be speaking for Hedda for now. Inside, Raven worries that Jada hasn't completely disappeared, but Clark brushes that off. Yeah, so um, before we like get into the meat of this scene, I just wanted to say, I think another, I don't want to call it a gripe, but I will, I think another gripe that I had with this episode is that I don't think they did a very good job. Again, like these two things feel very disparate to me, and this scene feels like it's taking place months in the future. Like months have passed since the, we pit left off in season six. Like, I know that's not true. I know this is supposed to take place, like, almost immediately. I mean, to be fair, they do say in this very first scene, it's been a day. No, I know they <laughs> say that. I know that's in the script. But, like, the tone, the, like, the way, the, the, the different set, like, everything about it feels like it's been months the relationships certainly feel like it's been months uh, and not just like a day <laughs> um, it's just so incongruous and it was it was really jarring to me I kept yeah. being like I know this is technically supposed to be like 24 hours later but it feels like it's been like two to four months I am curious too how they found this place they did, did they just stumble upon it did yeah. Russell tell them Russell about it I was like oh <laughs> while you like chain me up in shackles I have a really great spot for you guys it's like a nice vacation home are you looking for some real estate opportunities? <laughs> <laughs> right. I charge commission. <laughs> um, but we get to see Picasso oh in this God. scene and just get, you know, confirmation that Picasso's fine. He's doing well. He's finally escaped his family of mass murderers and is now living with a new family of mass murderers. Sure, so. <laughs> sure, sure. But they're not convicts, any of they're them. They're not technically convicts. They're all convicts. <laughs> Uh, oh, also, I had a note in here to say that I apologize. I mistakenly na named this house a Victorian house last episode. It is a colonial house, um, so that that was my bad. I knew it wasn't Victorian is all I knew. <laughs> that it is, it is a uh, reproduction of like a nice colonial looking house. Yeah, it's a farmhouse. Mm -hmm. um, and speaking of, so apparently Russell built this house for Simone to look like the farm that she grew up on. And first off... I do not believe that Russell has the skill set needed to build this house. Second off, I 100% know for a fact that he does not have the materials to build everything in this house, like a lamp. Like I said, there's no mass production on this like a, planet. Like a kitchen from Ikea. Right, there's no Bed Bath & Beyond here. I don't know where any of these like mass-produced items came from um and then third did Simone live here or was this like a vacation house like what the, what is this function <laughs> it's for our one crew to live in I mean yes <laughs> that's what that's his function <laughs> um and it, it also it doesn't seem like lying about Maddie still being the commander is going to last them very long oh, no. this season no I like I personally am giving it maybe like an episode or two yeah I think I would give it to the end of episode three, since I know most of episode two, if not all of episode two, isn't going to have anything to do with Sanctum. Oh, please. Please let it be so. Um, <laughs> From your lips to God's ears. I don't think we're going to get through in a whole other episode of syn of fo Sanctum-focused content without this getting out. Yeah, and I I'm curious... I, I just don't think, like, them lying about Maddie still being the commander serves a huge plot function right now, except to, like keep them from riding but as we see later on in this episode that doesn't last long anyway so well I'm wondering too like now that Shade Hedda is in Russell I mean I'm assuming he's gonna try and like maintain the Russell persona for a bit but I'm sure that that's not gonna last forever and once they find out that Shade Hedda is in a different body then they're gonna have to be like how did it escape 
the flame. Dun, dun, dun. So, oh, I think they're gonna find out about Maddie before they find. I out think about so Shade too, Russell. but um, that's Sh- also- <laughs> Shade Russell. <laughs> Shade Russell is that what we're gonna call it? Cannon <laughs> accepted, accepted hand cut cannon. Um, another thing I wanted to say is it's so jarring to see Indra, a grounder warrior, inside a conventional home like this. Yeah. <laughs> it was bizarre. And like to that note, I do want to say as much as I love Goad, which I do, and it is a true OTP for me. I also think that Indra and food is a strong contender this season <laughs> for an ultimate OTP oh <laughs> because God. Indra loves to eat. She does. <laughs> she is like, she's just hungry. She's just like chewing up this scene as she chews her food. But, um, <laughs> thank you. Um, serious question though. Why is Raven doing the cooking while the rest of them are just like outside on a blanket? I don't know. It's, it's bizarre. I- Maybe she likes to cook. Or maybe, like, they all cooked and her job was to serve people. Or maybe they take turns and it was her turn. Maybe. It was just, like, a weird thing with, like, just Raven in the kitchen. Yeah. I thought that was weird, too. But you know what? She looks great. So I'm not mad about it. Yeah. She looks great. Um... I also wanted to mention how much I loved all this, the subtleties and the beats that they devoted to Indra and Gaia's relationship in this episode. There was a really meaningful exchange in this bit here. And I'm very hopeful for what that means um, for the rest of the season because I'm always so interested in them as a mother and daughter um, and the tension that sort of interplays between them I think is just always very magnetic. And I I think it's a good sign. I think it's a good sign for things to come. Yeah, I mean, not only am I super interested in their mother-daughter relationship, but we've gotten so little of it. Yeah. Um, Even though Gaia's been in the show since season four, I believe, uh, you know, we just don't know a lot about her. And we've heard, like, slight hints about her and Indra's kind of friction um, throughout their lives, but we haven't seen a lot of it. So I'm, I'm really hoping that they explore that a little bit more this season yeah and what we have seen has always been di- very like dynamic you know it's always mm-hmm. been super magnetic it's not we have not gotten a lot of it but the two of them are so talented and such great actors and yeah. they have really great great chemistry they have an amazing level of chemistry yeah, yeah. so I they, I just think that they're totally interesting to watch I think especially because their personas are so different Indra is so blunt and straightforward and Gaia is so um conserved and quiet and calculating you know in many ways so very smooth yeah um so yeah looking forward to more of that I will say that throughout this whole episode Raven and Clark are still very much like tiptoeing around each other Mm -hmm. um they still kind of haven't figured out how to be true friends again after what happened last season although they're definitely on the same side at least now which you know thank god um so I do hope that they actually get a moment to talk you know because that was one of my biggest gripes this episode is there was no like true character moments you know except for there was like a little bit with Gaia and Clark but I don't feel like that was as emotionally satisfying because that's not a relationship that's been built up in the same way as some of these others. It's not a relationship that we've sat with for six plus seasons. No, I would say it's almost a new relationship. It's a yeah. new dynamic they're exploring as as opposed to, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, as opposed to like really digging down into the relationships we've been invested in for the last six plus years. But especially with Clark and Raven and Clark and Murphy, are, these are relationships that I think need a lot of work this season, and I hope that the show puts in that work. Although, again, I'm 
not super confident given this first episode. I'm not <laughs> confident. I wasn't confident we were going to get that in the first place. Okay, well, I'm that's fair. Definitely not confident that we were going to get it after this episode. Um, I do think that part of the awkwardness um, of Raven and Clark's dynamic is that Raven is trying to be a, an outlet for for Clark's grief um, and a source of comfort to her. And Clark is just completely compartmentalized and shut down. What are you down. talking about? Clark's fine. Yeah, she's totally fine. She's super fine. Um, the finest. It's all good. <laughs> uh, you know, we see how quickly she just shuts down after anybody mentions Ma- oh, yeah. um, Abby. And, like, they do this on purpose in the very first scene with her so that we get all of this. We start the tension, you know, wound up really early in the beginning of the episode. And they wind it up even tighter until the very end when she snaps. Um, it's it's well it's – well, um, played beat for beat and Eliza does an amazing job with it I was gonna say I do want to give Eliza as much credit as possible because a lesser actress would have overplayed a lot of this um compartmentalization oh for but sure she plays Clark with such subtlety and there's like so much depth even when Clark her face might just like twitch the slightest you know but like or with that twitch you read so much into conversely, it conversely I was reading this and I think it was the hypable review I think it was I think I'm so sorry if this was somebody else. But um, I think in hy- the Hypable review, they were saying how it's her, it's her stillness. It's her conservation of motion where she, like, doesn't react. That look is so unnerving almost because any other actor would feel inclined or the pull to make a move or make a show of something or to do any kind of indication that they've been affected by this emotionally. But it's actually the inverse of that that really – is unnerving and un- inhuman almost um which is truly just like Eliza's gift yeah but I mean I think it's more than just her stillness she's able to like play these facial expressions that are just so tiny but tiny. still say so much and like there's like a a, a, a way she like work, works with her eyes where like her whole face her whole complexion is totally placid mm-hmm. but then there's this look in her eyes where it's you're a tightness like, oh damn mm-hmm. there is something really wrong behind there yeah yeah which you know welcome to the show yeah but again give this girl an emmy absolutely uh and then clark says just one last thing sanctum is broken and it's our job to put it back together and i was like is it, <laughs> is it clark? couldn't we just not no because she's fine she's she doesn't super need a distraction. fine she totally doesn't need to focus on anything else except for herself right now so it's fine I just, I mean, like, I will, I hope I don't dwell on this too much in this episode, but all of the Sanctum drama feels like such a carryover from the end of last season, and I'm just not interested in it, so. Yeah, there's a few beats like this later on. I hope that they kind of speed past this and we can get into a little bit more meat, you know, be that Shade Hedder or whatever, Shade Russell, you know. Yeah. (laughs) So they all have a picnic outside, and although some are complaining that they have to live in the house versus the palace, Indra tells them that acting like conquerors is not a good idea. And when the group listen, or toasts to Abby, Jackson won't let Murphy drink as he blames him for Abby's death. But Murphy swears he didn't know what Russell was going to do. And then we flash to Hope, who finds a note sewed inside her body telling her to trust Bellamy. Yeah, so this picnic scene was like, something out of a different show I think it was intentionally supposed to be jarring like that but I also feel like maybe they overkilled it a little bit it felt like it was a different show um and it just it makes me really sad that after seven seasons and hundreds of years 
that this group of people who has been through so much to each other and who are a found family with all of its flaws and and you know baggage they're just they are so they're so much like strangers to each other they're so there's so much bad feeling and awkwardness and guilt that they they finally have this small moment of peace and they they can't even really enjoy it because we've come to this place where they're all they're not they're not cohesive as a group anymore they've they've like they're broken yeah I mean first I want to say I actually did really like the juxtaposition here I thought yeah. it was a really cool scene um like almost Stepford Wivesy. yes yes for um, sure but it, again, I I think that was intentional yeah yeah definitely yeah. I do want to say I think we have to remember that not all of these characters have known each other for that long I mean like some of them were in the bunker some of them were in space Murphy was barely with Sky Crew before he kind of left, you know, yeah. and didn't end up coming back until he went to space with Bellamy and, and the rest of the crew. So, like, he doesn't know Jackson very well. He doesn't know Miller super well outside of when they were both, like, part of Bellamy's crew. I know. Like, <laughs> so cute. Um, so I just think that, like, not all of them it's it's almost weird that they're trying to act like friends because they just don't it was like when uh last season when echo and jackson hugged it's like you guys don't know each other like stop pretending that you're friends yeah i i totally hear what you're saying and i think again that's a very like logical way of looking at it um but emotionally like we've been through so much with these characters and we've seen them you know the like crucible of this show that keeps forcing them into these insanely intense situations that forges these bonds that are just you can't help but you know after you face the mountain troll like you can't help being friends on the other side of it like um you know I think there is a lot of um, a lot of emotional bonding that has happened between all of them in a very very short amount of time and Mm -hmm. I I think that the scene was supposed to show us that like this group has been fragmented and it's broken and that's a sad thing and I don't particularly like this I, I feel I wish that the show had done a lot more character work like we'd been saying over over this course of season six so that we were in a better place with everyone at the beginning of season seven you know how we could have fixed that this episode yes I do some apologies yeah to Clark yeah <laughs> but I would have preferred it to happen in season six so yes we could have started on like a fresh page with season seven and I just again there's a lot of carry over here and I would have liked a fresh start, yeah. is what I'm saying. Um, switching gears here, why in hell would anyone in this group want to live in the palace? Did you know? Um, <laughs> no one's allowed to live in the, the palace. The palace is off limits. The palace is off limits. I've been told, I think. I heard that once or twice. Yeah. maybe We should maybe check on that. But... 2,000 times this episode. <laughs> Did you know that the palace is off limits? Uh, but, like, seriously, though, like, this house is so delightful and sunny and comforting, and the palace is just, like, dark and weird, and there's a bunch of, like, I mean, I don't want to say freaks, but they're freaks. Let's be honest. There's a bunch <laughs> of weirdos. There's a bunch of weirdos running around. <laughs> there's, like, the convicts. There's the believers. There's the children of Gabriel. Like, let's just stay out of it. Let's live in our nice, comfortable Ikea home. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think it speaks more to Murphy's discomfort in himself and how he relates to everyone in this group I think being in this house with everyone is very confining to him and he doesn't feel welcome there Mm -hmm. and any any way of of removing himself from that situation I think it would be preferable to him yeah but the palace is off limits the palace apparently is off limits so they say I guess I I mean I only heard that like two or three times this episode um Indra does make a really great point about conquerors and I think that in many ways 
I'm curious if I were to go back and rewatch earlier seasons, I wonder if we would get a little bit more of a sense of unrest with the grounders, um, not just from Sky Crew kind of coming in and trying to take over, but also because the the clans were not really even um, combined or, or united until Lexa, right? Yeah. So I kind of wonder how that would have looked before that. Like, what kind of world did Indra grow up in? Right. You know, where with the clans, were they just constantly fighting and one clan was taking over another clan? And, 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 and I wonder yeah, if I, that's kind of led into her strategy here of knowing how that feels being on the other side of it. Oh, 100%. I think that's totally a really great read. And I think um, not only shows the depth of Indra's character, but also her value as now, I think, probably the oldest member of one crew like like by far by well like i don't know if she's the oldest member of one crew i think they had some well of this of, well, oh she's definitely the oldest member of this like yellow house crew yeah but you know i mean she's just got years and years on them and yeah. it's just like the experience hard one is is invaluable um i I, you want to get into it? I want to. There, there's a thing that I have to talk about, and I, I'm sorry in advance. Um, they talk about how you know the house, house is is shared amongst them. Obviously, Clark is in the biggest room. They also share their Simone's closet, and apparently, Simone shopped at H and M in 2002. <laughs> and I hate it. I hate all of this costume work. I hate everything about it. But in particular, I hate. In order, Amori's outfit, Nyla's outfit, and I will say Maddie's with the caveat that I would wear Maddie's shirt. I think it's adorable. I just don't think it has any place on this show. It's a baby doll dress. Yeah. It's I, not a shirt. It's very cute. <laughs> it's super, super cute. It's it's a it's a shirt. It's meant for an adult. She's wearing it. No, as it's a, a baby doll dress. It's a 12-year-old. It's, like tw- it's like a little girl baby doll dress. It's, it's not a shirt. It's super cute. I would wear it. I just don't think it has any place on this show. Um, I'm going to say conversely, I don't, I don't know what Nyla's wearing. Honestly, I've She's forgotten. Wearing I know it was pink. Hippie, dippy, lilac, lavender, yeah. wrap Don't dress. care about that. But I did love Amori's outfit. I think Amori looks adorable. I she just. She looks horrible. I think she looks so cute. And Britt is wrong. I am super wrong. into Amori's outfit. I hope she stays in this outfit all season. Although we do know that she switches into this like blue garb at some point. Thank- god but i'm into it i think she looks pretty punk i think they should burn some closet <laughs> to the ground and as for maddie i think maddie looks adorable and it's unexpected because we haven't seen maddie in white yet or well, that's this like off white i really did like i liked her outfit i i, I just want to be clear i really thought she looked great i just don't think that shirt has anything to do with the show i think it's cute and I think it kind of harkens back to um, life on the Ark when they had a bunch of threadbare clothes that they just wore over and over again in different ways. And I think that's like the same for this. This is clothes they brought from Earth. Uh, I doubt it was Simone's. I doubt any of this I'm was I'm sure Simone's. it was Josephine's. It was probably Josephine's. Which is, explains why it looks like a teenager's <laughs> closet from 2002. <laughs> but... You go, Amori. She looked amazing. I in think this she episode. looks horrific, and I'm so sorry that they put her in that. It, see, this is this is why we have a podcast. Beautiful. The very very few times that we have differing opinions, it's always about clothes. <laughs> I would love for you guys to tweet at us. Do you like what Amori's wearing, or the rest a, of we them? We should make a Twitter poll. 
okay we can make a twitter poll but also just tweet at me that i'm right and brit's wrong <laughs> but, it, but it's okay you can tell the truth I'm right. <laughs> uh so jackson knocking that glass out of murphy's hand was like very violent for him and i also really loved it because i personally am not feeling great about murphy and yeah, i same. i think he deserves it so <laughs> not that i i don't think that murphy is responsible for Abby's death but I think Murphy's responsible for a lot of shit that happened last season yeah things that he needs to a come to terms with and be apologized yeah I mean like that's what I was gonna say is like he turns to Clark and apologizes like I swear I didn't know Russell was gonna kill your mom and it's like great glad she believes you Murphy that's not what you should be apologizing for maybe like when you tried to actively kill Clark, that that's a thing that you well, could talk about. Sure, and it's like she's giving him a pass just because she doesn't want to engage in yeah. this at all. So it's like, fine. No, she's we'll not. She's not. It. She's not giving him a pass because she doesn't want to engage. She's giving him a pass because that's what Clark does. She like takes everyone's hate in and never expects anyone to apologize, even though she has to apologize every time that she like accidentally kicks a rock, you know? Sure. And also, even before he like apologized to her about his like unintentional hand in Abby's death, he was like giving her actual like attitude about taking the largest room. Like, yeah. are you fucking kidding it's me, like, Murphy? Re- really, Murphy? You like, want to have this conversation? Spoil- the vic- like, spoils go to the victor? Like, yes! I'm sorry, who do you think should live in the biggest room? (laughs) Uh, Clark only just got her body stolen and had her mother murdered and still managed to save everyone, so. Do you think you deserve the biggest room, Murphy? Because I don't. Um, You can go into the palace that you're not supposed to live in. Yeah, it's going to be a lot for Murphy. I'm I'm curious what this season holds for him. But I did want to note, too, before we move on, that they are still planning to build a compound. um, And on this compound will be Sky Crew, One Crew, and the Convicts. So that seems like a real fun place to live. Yeah, I don't want to live there. <laughs> I'll stay in my house. Yeah, can't they just, like, forget about all the rest of them? You got your cute yellow house. Yeah. Like, let's just start a commune here. It's a big house. <laughs> um, just to wrap up this section, uh, they just tagged on this little bit with Hope finding the note in her arm. I just have to say, this note is extra as fuck. I love a good... I love a good um, hidden note on your person. Not ca- on your person. <laughs> in your person. person. <laughs> um, in case of memory loss. That's a great trope and I love it. It's just so dramatic. Well, I do love too that it that means that she knows for a fact that she was going to lose her yes. memory going into this. Yes. And she was preparing for that eventuality. Mm-hmm. It's great. Or at least we're assuming it's her. We're not 100% sure she left this in her arm, but it seems very likely that it was her. Yes. Yes, I think I think for sure, at least for now. And I wonder if going back into the anomaly at the end of this uh, episode is going to bring back her memories or if we're going to still have to continue to fight to get those back. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Um, so, yeah, that, that scene is done. Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> As the group walks back to Sanctum, Inja lays out the issues they're all facing. Some Sanctumites still believe in the Primes, but the children of Gabriel all want the Primes dead, and now there's a bunch of convicts thrown into the mix. And it's going to take another two to three years to even get their compound built, so, um, situation's not great. <laughs> yeah, talk about an expedition, exposition dump. Yeah. Woo! That was was not subtle it was not subtle and not super well done although I I I don't know if I could say that they that there's another way to do it smoother I think the problem is is there's just a lot to recap here and it's like not interesting stuff it's not interesting I also am like 
I think at this point, like, you can give your viewers a little bit of credit. I don't think anyone's watching the season seven premiere if they haven't watched all of the other seasons of The 100. Did the Children of Gabriel didn't actually show up at the end of last season, did they? This is new. The Children of Gabriel situation? No, yeah, that, yeah. So that's, that's new. new, and that's something that could be introduced that they've now come but back to say. It was just a lot of it was a lot of expedition. I could wait. No, 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 no. I'm so wrong, because they came with Bellamy and Octavia. They were like their army backup. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Oh, God, it's <laughs> a lot that happens. Are we podcasters? I don't know. Um. So Murphy's still being Murphy, and I am surprised that Jackson didn't just like haul off and punch him here because he's like still giving his like quips and acting like nothing's wrong and stuff is wrong <laughs> yes and you are part of the wrong murphy yeah you're you're not right Shh. <laughs> i mean i i usually find him so charming i think his charm is wearing off i at the end of last season i was up to here yeah. like he had that one chance um to pretend to be daniel prime at the end of last season and he just like didn't want to do it until amori kind of made him do yeah. it and that just like the last straw yeah you've learned have you learned nothing <laughs> it's a great question daniel asks later um i did want to note there is an interesting moment when clark um asks indra if guns are necessary to like enforce their peacekeeping uh tactics here and i'm like are we watching the same show clark yes guns are necessary i mean <laughs> i don't think she was necessarily saying guns are not necessary she was just saying we're gonna keep peace at the point of a gun like it's a little um uh ironic it's totally ironic i see that but it's also like yeah i think it carries over though from her last season not wanting to use guns yeah yeah like out of all the things (laughs) that follow through i don't think it's out of character for her i just thought it was it was an interesting thing that they included and you know I'm always interested in, like, why do the writers give time to one thing over another? And maybe if, like, none of them had weapons, we could all just chat it out. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It felt like, like, an NRA, you know, NRA, like, anti-NRA, like, ad for, like, <laughs> um, I did love here that Raven mentions Allie when Indra's like, ugh, there's too many people in Sanctum. Um, and just bringing back that, like, Becca, Allie... <laughs> too many people I guess I'll have to bomb the whole earth situation but that that really does make me feel like Becca or Allie but most likely Becca is going to come back into the season at some point in one way or another I agree I, I think, don't think she's going to be live or anything no but. no I I do think it's a cute it was a nice little refresher a little brain teaser mm-hmm. I definitely think I mean she's such a huge part of the like fabric of this yeah. show I would be shocked if in the final season they did not incorporate her in some fashion but I I thought this was really cute I loved this joke all for the joke. And I definitely think we could be seeing Becca at least in the uh, prequel episode. For sure. I, I'm not, I wouldn't say for sure. I don't really understand yet what the prequel is going to be about, but I think there's a very good chance that they would want to bring in um, a core character like that to kind of Tight. cement yeah. the, the, the prequel into the larger narrative of the hundred. Totally. Um, final thing here I wanted to call out is, Miller and Clark being genuinely adorable like I love that after Clark sends Maddie off to school and Miller just like automatically jumps up he's like oh we need guards on her and Clark's like yeah but you know don't make it obvious like they're like co-parenting her and it's super cute Uncle Miller I love this look for him I really liked Miller being on Clark's team it reminded me back in like season five there was right after they got not the bunker and they were gonna go on that trek through the desert and like Miller I feel 
turned to Clark and Bellamy in a way that like showed that he still really respected them and then it, it kind of all changed in season five and then last season it wasn't great with Miller and Clark um, or really wasn't anything at all and so I just like that finally Miller and Clark teaming up it's been seven seasons and I'm ready <laughs> yeah I mean and I also think it just speaks to what I was saying to you before which is like I love these characters I want to love these characters and it's more fun to watch them when they're having fun together yeah uh it's less fun to watch when they're angry and fighting with each other so like more so you're saying that we've hated all six seasons is more that what you're <laughs> team ups. no there have been a lot of different team ups there's been like a lot of different fights and alliances yeah. but it's always more fun when they work together agreed in the palace, a new convict named Nikki has Jordan at gunpoint. Sorry, not gunpoint, knife point. Sorry, that they was... don't have guns. They don't have guns. <laughs> that was a Freudian slip. <laughs> uh, Jordan's trying to get the prisoners to leave the palace. Is it sanct- is it sanct- <laughs> sacred to the sanctum believers? Say that six times fast. <laughs> and ultimately, Nikki lets him go. But then the children of Gabriel come in and they get into a fight with the believers, which is only controlled when one crew comes in and puts a stop to it telling them that no one gets to live in the palace. What was that? Oh, I, I don't think anyone... I don't think anyone can live in the palace. Can you live in the palace? I don't think so. I don't know. I'll have to check. They just said no. So Did that's, they? that's what I think I'm going to go with for now, but I mean, it could change. I think... I don't think we can live in the palace. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. We're going to start this joke. <laughs> I started this joke the other night. I've been talking about it for like two days. It's not uh, that funny. So the believers essentially want assurances that Russell's being cared for, and Clark tells them that Jordan can check on Russell and report back. Right. Okay. So before we get into the meat of this scene, um, I just I feel like I need to comment and say that you know I just found this uninteresting <laughs> overall. Um, there are things in this episode we like. Guys. I swear <laughs> we're getting to them. I really I do mean it. Um, we liked Raven's joke. Um, we, I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know I just I don't think that any of these groups the believers the children of Gabriel or the Allegis convicts have earned any kind of right to this amount of screen time in the final season premiere. And it's annoying that they devoted this much time. You know what I'm gonna say you're wrong. You know who has earned their screen time? Cadigan. <laughs> No. See? You're bringing it up now without even me saying yeah, anything. Yeah, it's like Pavlov's <laughs> response at this point. I mean, yes. Cadigan has definitely earned his screen time. But no. Nelson, for me, oh. is... <laughs> on fire he's so hot i have no recollection of him being this hot last season i do i i am just in shock i'm like was, nelson you can it was because gabriel was next to him and gabriel's that's also true. so hot that's um, true but yeah no i remember i remember nelson being this hot i just don't remember him being this charismatic yeah he has like a whole new personality it's like someone blew a new personality yeah, into i remember him. him just being like kind, kind of, of a, a dick dud. i mean like he is still kind of a dick but like it's an it's a hot in way, a hot way. Yeah. <laughs> no he is so hot um also love this introduction to bonnie and clyde i mean nikki and hatch i will be calling them bonnie and clyde yeah, for I, the remainder of this season i have no interest in learning or remembering their names and for all intents and purposes they are bonnie and clyde so just i mean like i doubt they're gonna live super long let the record state um also the introduction to them is ridiculous ridiculous and over the t- I mean like they even gave him a southern accent they might as well have gave him a mustache to twirl did you know that like convicts aren't very good people I did read that somewhere like I've heard they're I, kind of violent sometimes I also and- heard that they like to live in the palace <laughs> <laughs> but see I heard that no one's allowed there <laughs> um <laughs> but it, it was sorry we heard no one else to laugh at our jokes <laughs> 
I did like though that that Bonnie and Clyde, which I don't think that they're being subtle about it. Like you're definitely supposed to think oh, of Bonnie for sure. and Clyde. I just like think it's funny that like they have names. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm not calling you by anything else. Um, but do we think that they were married previously, or was there just like an Elegious mining wedding, like a special episode where they just like got married and everyone got the day off and they, you know, all got to like shoot their guns in the air and celebration. I mean, I think that's a super cute headcanon, and I want that to be true for them. I want love on the Elegious yeah, mining mission. I, I want that story. I actually feel like they were married before. I think you're probably right. I think they probably committed the same crime that got them. Correct. Landed on and the, the mining mission. I think it was a bank robbery. Do, do we? That's what Bonnie and Clyde did, babe. Yeah, I know that's what Bonnie and Clyde did. I didn't know if you were joking I or was like. Totally joking. I, I was like, did, did we get some information about that? I no. missed that. Maybe. No, because I, I think I remember hearing that, like, for serious though, I think Nikki is like a mass murder, like like a serial killer. That's what I heard yeah. too. Um, so I don't know about Hatch, but maybe he helped her. Maybe. I mean, she does seem to be the like more knife happy of the two for sure he's definitely like a little bit chiller a little bit quippier (laughs) yeah so so at this point hatch is my favorite of the couple but we'll see where that goes i don't have a favorite right now (laughs) i mean it's a very low bar (laughs) um another question why Mm -hmm. is jordan so resistant to staying with one crew i mean like i get that the tavern was where delilah lived and all and he's misses her blah 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 okay i'm gonna stop you right there first off no one wants to stay with one crew. The Yellow House crew is not Sorry, one crew. Sorry, Yellow House, Yellow House crew. Yellow House crew. Why? One crew sucks. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I just like, what is his devotion to the believers and the citizens of Sanctum? I just don't understand where, why his allegiance to them is so strong and why his resistance to our guys is so little. Yeah, I, I, well, we, I, I mentioned this a little bit later in the podcast, but we know last season at the end of last season that he was like adjusted in some way right. and we were worried that he'd been totally brainwashed and it was now like obsessed with the crime doesn't seem like that's the case but also it doesn't seem like it's not the case so i'm i'm sure. still i'm very confused at where jordan's head is i mean to be fair it's not like he has a strong emotional connection with anyone because he only met them if like 2 weeks ago I you know? know but you would think that like his parents like love for them and, like, his, like, learned growing up on stories of them and everything would, like, yeah, but endear I th- them to him I think little. just the fact that he's heard so many stories of them and they've become... Heroes. Re- yeah. Well, they, they've become real people now with real flaws yeah. in a way that I think stories can't get across. Sure. And so he's kind of trying to reconcile his idea of them with the reality of them. And that makes him uncomfortable yeah i get that it doesn't explain quite explain like his like weird attachment to the believers well like i do think that there's like some level of him like the believers have no expectations of him aside from what they've like known about him in the last two weeks whereas you know sky crew and at all do have these additional pressures put on him just being monty and harper's son you know and he already had that connection with what was her name delilah Delilah. um slash priya later on so i think he's kind of gotten to a place with these these people specifically that he feels for them and feels for what they've all gone through um i don't think he truly believes in the primes but i do think that he wants to help them the believers you know yeah i i I buy all of that i 
I hope we get a little bit more insight into it, though. Yeah, I do, too. Um, other thing, this is a great Miller episode. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think this is the first time he's ever made a joke, which was the funniest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> Nelson's like, oh, we're going to burn Russell. And he's like, you may want to dig a log off that fire. <laughs> <laughs> He got some quips in. Which I just found delightful. I love, Miller usually has like no role. None. And what he does play, I'm usually annoyed by. Right. So I really loved him this, this episode, this I agree. This was a glow up for him. He <laughs> glowed up. Um, and I mean, I guess talking about Miller and Clark, I also love that Indra here steps up to protect Clark when uh, the believers kind of call her out. Um, it, it really just means a lot to me that people are finally like on her side instead of pushing her away um you know Clark is still very much carrying the load but at least people kind of see that now and are trying to help her instead of like blaming her for every freaking thing she does it's sad that it took her literally losing her mother for people to feel any kind of empathy for her and to like step up and and help her share the Mm -hmm. burden which she won't let them but the you know well she's she's accepting some help but um, but i i do love seeing indra step forward and protect her it's yeah like, it's very I, sweet i just want people to give clark the respect that she has earned by now <laughs> hell yeah so russell is locked up in the schoolhouse when jordan comes in to check on him russell pushes him away though all he wants is to die <laughs> i soon, need death <laughs> very soon Jordan gives Russell Priya's mind drive, but Russell smashes it. Russell realizes that Jordan was adjusted and that although Jordan doesn't actually believe in the divinity of the primes, he did see the anomaly in his hallucinations. Yes. So first of all, thank you, God, that they figured out some way to keep J.R. born in this show because he is so hot and so fine and it would have been a travesty if we had to say goodbye to him along with Russell. I mean, sure, and I, I was, you know... We definitely theorized that Shaitetta could be in Russell's mind mm-hmm. drive, but before we did that, before, back when we thought that Shaitetta was in the anomaly, I was like, what the hell are they going to do with Russell? Why is he still here? Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think that his continued presence is going to help us, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. For sure. But mostly I just appreciate him because he's so beautiful. Yes. I mean, obviously. <laughs> uh, also, he's so dramatic. <laughs> you understand a bear whisper of the agony I feel <laughs> like okay sir oh boy extra <laughs> AF um but I love it love it it was great uh and so thank god Jordan doesn't actually believe in the primes because I was super worried last season with that like weird conversation he had with Bellamy oh my god I know I was like really stressed out about this and he does still seem to view Priya's mind drive. It, he treats it like it's almost holy in a way. And I don't know if that's because he thinks that Russell sees it as holy or if he also in some ways sees it as holy. I don't know if he thinks of it as holy, but I think it is the only thing he has of her. So in that way, it's very special and dear to him. And it's weird, right? She definitely took over the body of the girl that you slept with. Like, Priya has no real connection to you son no but i mean like it was the last of her delilah's body so but it wasn't though i don't know i agree that it's weird i'm really glad that they did not decide to take him into like as far as like a devotee as they could have Mm -hmm. or they clearly like set up that they could go there I am super curious but not totally 100 percent interested I, i just want him to be more interesting i guess I felt that all of last season, and to be fair, they gave him 
fairly anything, anything to, do to do last season. So I did hear from um, some of the reviewers that were previewing this season that it sounds like Jordan has a bigger role to play this 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 season, at least in the first four episodes. Yeah, I heard that too, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I hope that that is like a good role. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also like that, you know, Russell, we learn, was also obsessed with the anomaly uh, when he first got to Sanctum, and it makes his connection to Gabriel and then Gabriel's ultimate betrayal later on, you know, that much stronger, and it also has this, like, nice symmetry with the rest of this season. Mm -hmm. I like when they do the kind of connect-the-dot thing. Well, I think this was even hammering in something that we'd heard last season, which was the two of them together were obsessed with it. Yes. Um... And so, obviously, at this point, Russell's like, I don't give a fuck anymore. But we do. <laughs> right. right. So. But, and, and, he, and, he, and he passes the baton almost yeah. to, to Jordan, uh-huh. who is, like, our avatar, if you will, in the show, which is, like, we, this mystery is now up to you to figure out. Mm-hmm. And, like, it kind of gives him this mission for the rest of the it's season like, of, like, sir, yes, sir, yeah. into it. And McCabe <laughs> takes the baton, <laughs> waves it in the Runs air. Runs with it. <laughs> like an Olympic torch. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I, I also appreciate that Russell is like, I'm a bad person, and I own it. Like, I'm in shackles. I deserve death. They're treating me better than I have any right to expect. You know, I, I just feel like we get so little of that, like, bitter honesty and, like, mm-hmm. self-awareness, especially from a character who was so blindly un- self-aware last season. Yeah. You know, it's just really refreshing. Um, it's insanely dramatic, but it's great. It, it is great nice television. to not have to play that, like, morally gray game again of, like, understanding the villain's intentions. He's like, yeah, no, I'm kind of evil, but, like, he's like, I've accepted that. Also, I want to die. <laughs> right, like, just, like, put me out of my horrible misery. Yeah. I deserve death. Give it to me. Um, And so we're down another mind drive now. <sighs> They're, like, dropping like flies. I don't think... So who who has left... Who left has a mind drive? So Russell does. Yeah. Um, Clark does. Yeah. And Amori and um, Murphy. Murphy. And then technically Gabriel. So that's five. Yeah, that's true. Five. And I don't think there are any more. A Riker did have one, but it, I I don't know what happened to it. I guess it's possible yeah. that, like, someone found it and, like, scrolled it away. But yeah. Yeah. I think we'll just say five are still in play. And hopefully they will, I guess, remain not in play. <laughs> they're like just, in play, but they're not, just, you know? Just stay put. I mean, I guess the only, the real one that matters right now is Russell's mind drive, um, because yeah. that is what Shade Hedda was able to airdrop himself into, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank God an Apple airdrop works in Sancta. Yes. I mean, obviously. Well, I actually heard someone saying that he was able to airdrop himself because they were in space, and they were away from um, the anomaly, which, like, sucked all the signals in, so, like, the fact that the mind drives had, um wireless connectivity was mentioned in the season finale because they were going to try to download all of the information from the other planets that the primes were and so like i guess that was a little hint that these do work remotely and so shade was able to beam himself onto russell who was also in the ship at the time right um and that's how that all worked and that's why his code did not get sucked into the anomaly got it that makes sense yeah thank you for clarifying Echo and Gabriel are searching for Bellamy when they run into Hope. Echo grills her, believing that Hope is lying when she says she has no memories, but Gabriel realizes that this may be an effect of the anomaly that it has on people. Hope then shows them the note that she had sewn in her arm, and together the three keep looking for Bellamy. 
I love this trio, trio more than I thought I would. I just, I love them. Yeah, I, we, we saw that this kind of trio was going to be a thing um, in the trailer. And this was a trio that I would never have put together in a hundred years. And that is one thing the hundred does do very well I will say um kudos where kudos are due I'm already like 10 times more excited about this trio than I am about anyone on Sanctum right now so so I I really think this will be an interesting team up that the three of them are all so different and I mean like even from the very little we know of hope sure um they just they all seem you know wildly separate people (laughs) yeah and also very independent of one another they don't have any like they're 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 essentially like all, in all ways, the triangle is brand new. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's, there's no baggage There's there. no baggage, which is just great. Mm-hmm. The three of them have a fresh start together. Godspeed. Um, and we see Echo really, like, snapping into her strategy mode, which is oftentimes when she does her best work, she's wrong here in this situation. But I did like to see that side of her again, and I, I hope that we get to see a little bit more of that because I always find that piece of her really interesting. Um, but the best part of the scene is Gabriel and Code. Code. <laughs> Code. Code really shown out in this this ep- or in this scene here. Um, he's like, oh, the anomaly must have stolen your memories. It's terrible, but like also incredible. I mean, it was so <laughs> fun that they let. Um, I'm just gonna butcher his name too, Chokomodu. Um, play a little bit in this scene because he's he's you know I think it's so rare to see a character try and work something out and then not get the answer like he's like working through this in his brain his head he's putting the pieces together but he, he's missing a bunch of puzzles sure but he's like getting a lot of the he's, answer he's really close he's he's so close but then he gets really frustrated he's like beyond close he like does figure out that the anomaly when you're inside of it yeah. you seem to have your memories and when you're outside of it you don't and yeah. i don't know what that means later on i don't know how for example, we'll see the um, invisible attackers, the time pirates later on. They seem to have memories. So I don't know if there's like something that's protecting them. But I, I like this idea that the wormhole takes your mind. I don't know why. I don't know what oh, the explanation for that would be. Out. But but yeah, so I, I'm really, I'm just as excited as Gabriel. You are. <laughs> I mean, I was watching this and truly in my brain, I was like, oh my God. Gabriel is McCabe. McCabe <laughs> is Gabriel. Like, I mean, that's that's one thing that I love about both Echo and Gabriel being together is I I do feel like there's parts of me that are like with those two. Um, yeah. I relate to both of them in different ways, and so and and they're both so different. So it's like obviously very different sides of me. Yeah. Um, yeah so totally. I I really can't wait to see how those two kind of play off each other. <laughs> I think I just think it's great. Yeah. Um. But I, I I do wonder if it's the helmets that the Time Pirates have, like the Bughead helmets. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, now that I'm thinking about it, if that's, like, what protects their, their memories. Oh, maybe. Maybe um, there's, like, some kind of technology in there. But again, please show me the receipts. I would like to know how this works. <laughs> <laughs> you and Gabriel both? Maybe the anomaly is still the swirly green guy that we talked about. Maybe he, like is a thing a person maybe it's an entity yeah he's like he's not a wormhole he's a worm (laughs) okay okay uh in the tavern maury's reading kaylee's journal and murphy is brooding as murphy's want to do 
Raven tries to convince Murphy and Amori to pretend to be Kaylee and Daniel Prime, as it may come in handy if they need to get the Believers under control, but Murphy wants nothing to do with this. Jordan tells the Believers that Russell wants to die, which ends up causing a big kerfuffle in the town square between the Believers and the Children of Gabriel. Ultimately, Murphy and Amori are able to calm down the Believers by pretending to be the Primes, and Clark and her friends end up moving Russell to the palace for his own safety. So I guess Russell can live in the palace. It's not Apparently, off limits to Russell. Because, like, all battle plans work until the first shot is fired, <laughs> according to Indra. Um, all right, I have a lot to say in this section, and most of it's not great, so just bear with me. Okay. Um, just to start off, how the hell does Murphy know this song, Stuck in the Middle with You? Was he singing it? That, he said, Joker's to the left of me, um, Fool's to the left of me, Joker's the right, which is the lyric from this song, Stuck in the Middle with You. Uh, I did not catch that. I don't know that, how he knows this song. But also he had, well, first off, remember, he did spend like three months in a bunker. That's true. Um, that had like music access. And he had an iPod last season that he stole from the like sh- the Prime Shrine. Sure. So maybe it was on there. Maybe. I mean, it's, it makes it's sense if it's playing. It's an song, yeah. So I would, I would give it one of those two things. Okay, I, I can live with that. I just thought that was funny that yeah. he was like singing lyrics that, of course, you don't know. I, yeah, did not realize. Uh, shocking. <laughs> Uh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no judgment. I, I... <laughs> it's, it's valid. Um, so let's get into the Murphy of it all. I have a lot to say. Let's keep getting into it. Yeah. Uh, just keep hammering it in. <laughs> well, I think that this scene perfectly summarizes the Murphy problem, which is after all this time, he is clearly capable of feeling guilt. Like he has finally learned what guilt is mm-hmm. and that he should feel it. Um, but he has not reached the point. He hasn't learned what to do with that guilt. There's, he hasn't put, he doesn't know how to put it in proactive action. Um, it's not even about knowing. He just, he just doesn't. doesn't. He doesn't he just, do the it. The only thing he does with his guilt is that he sulks. Yeah. And then he punishes other people, namely Amori, for his bad, with his bad mood. Which is incredibly toxic Which behavior, is but- totally toxic. And which brings me to the Amori problem, which is, again, very emphasized in this scene, which is, again, why is it? Amori's job to console Murphy when he's acting like a baby. I mean, her storyline has basically been reduced to being John Murphy's nanny, and I I hate it. And she just she's so fantastic and so amazing and so interesting all in her own right. I just want her them to give her something to do. Like we were talking about this the other night that the most interesting season and the most interesting series of episodes we've ever gotten of Amori is when they were broken up and she yeah. got to be her own person and she, you know, formed her friendships with Echo and Raven and she became like mechanic junior and all these amazing things. And I'm so sick of her being his nanny. Um, and I'm so sick of her trying to be helpful and read through Kaylee's journal and try and make lemons out lemonade out of this fucking lemon situation and Murphy just making fun of her for it. I'm done. Yes. Sorry. I 100% had to rant. I, I agree. And I personally love Amori. I think she's a really fascinating character. And even though she's been in the season or in the series now for so Five? since season two. Yes. Yeah, since season two, I still just feel like we don't get enough of her. Like she's so interesting and there's so much unmined potential there that they just constantly ignore in favor of her relationship with Murphy. And I I've had a problem with it since season 5 when Murphy was clearly exhibiting toxic behavior toward her and it's not like I'm saying 
that sometimes relationships don't face these problems. Um, and I don't think that Murphy specifically was like a bad person because of the way he was acting, but I do think it was a bad way to act. And I think you need to talk through those things, work through them and, you know, stop doing them before you're able to have a healthy relationship. Well, sure. And I also think it is, it speaks to a bigger and larger problem that the writers on and the show has, which is that they, they do have an issue where they tend to sideline major female characters mm -hmm. in favor of their relationship storylines. Namely, Amori and Echo and Harper. Harper. Um, Harper was always sidelined, though, to be fair. She but was, they, she, they could have done so much more with yeah. her. And we whined and complained about that for two full seasons of her being Monty's girlfriend and then wife mm -hmm. um, with nothing else to do. And... I just, it does, you know, what does it say when, like, you have a huge fan base of mostly a lot of women, and a lot of your female characters keep getting demoted, you know, to their storylines keep getting a revolve around a guy. Like, it's irritating to me. It is extremely irritating. Um, and I am complete agreement with what you're saying. Uh, one thing I will say, one thing I will add to this is that I do love how much Richard loves Louisa. Oh my god, you're right, sure. I should, we should say that, like, outside of the show, these two actors are amazing, obviously. They have amazing chemistry, they deeply respect one another, and I love how much Richard loves Louisa. Yeah, that's, it's, it's very sweet. That's good to know, yes, thank you for including that. Um, so I do know that we have in the past, and I'll probably do it again, we really rag on Raven for being that, like, fake Miss Morality that, uh, yeah, she's, that, she's on a very high horse that Murphy calls her out on, but, like, Murphy, out of all people, you do not get to say that. No, no, back off, sir. Back off. <laughs> Um, but I, I did want to note that Raven, you know, especially in juxtaposition to all of your bad fashion comments, I want to say a great fashion comment, which is that Raven's back in her ponytail and she has this really cute red jacket and it's like bringing back all of those season one vibes and I love it and it just feels like this is like the heart of Raven. Um, I mean, like, I feel like I even got to see more of the Raven that I know and love in this episode, more so than I did all of last season. Oh, I 100% agree, and I love this red bomber jacket that ties in so beautifully with the bomber jackets that they wore in season one. Also, I want it. Same. <laughs> I love her ponytail. I think she looks fan – I mean, she's so beautiful. I think she looks fantastic, and I do feel like there's been a dramatic tonal shift in what they gave her to do mm -hmm. this episode in – in comparison to all of last season. Yeah. It's just like a dramatic shift happening here, and I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of Raven, she had a great line in this episode, I mean, in this scene, where she was telling Murphy, she goes, newsflash, you are primes. That bad choice has sailed. <laughs> <laughs> Which I found delightful. And true. And very true. <laughs> you tell him, Raven. <laughs> um, so I do know that... <laughs> I do know that Raven probably goes into the anomaly very soon. Sure. But there is that scene where, like, Nelson is is looking over at her and then Murphy oh, and, I saw it. and Amori. I mean, like, I think it was meant for him to be, like, noticing how Murphy and Amori are not really primes. Right. But I did love the, like, little look that Raven and Nelson shared. And I'm like, oh, it, oh do yeah. I see a ship upon it the horizon? <laughs> almost nothing for me to ship them. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Hot, hot. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> I just, I mean, like, Raven's hot. She deserves someone hot. He's hot. Riker died and also was an asshole. So who else is left? 
Um, so yeah, that's yeah. my new ship. Yeah, no, I love <laughs> so, it. Wait, let's count them. We've got Goad. Yeah. We've got Indra and Food or Findra. Findra as I named it. Yeah, I, I tried saying Indrude. <laughs> and then I was like, Findra. The only thing I don't like about Findra is it reminds me of like Finn and Indra, which yeah, I'm man, like, oh, I don't like. I remember Finn on this show so it's fine. I mean it's fine. no one does but I like the idea of Indra getting like a little hot piece on the <laughs> side <laughs> and then finally that? we have Relson Relson Nelvin 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 yeah Nelvin's good okay. <laughs> Nelvin's good that sounds like an elvish name yeah it does I like it um so again not to just keep bringing on the negative. I am, I do love this show. I know it's hard to tell, um, but it's just Jordan, man. True Jordan fashion. He has done the absolute bare minimum and has been no help whatsoever. So slow clap for you, Jordan. It's like, I, you know, your God wants to die. What can he you told, do? I just told them that he wants to die. I, I just said what, what he said. What the problem is. <laughs> God, you are absolutely useless, you little fucker. Yeah. Jordan buddy <laughs> it's not great. I mean to be fair I know we infantilize him but he is like an infant like he just doesn't have any sort of social awareness he's smart but he's not like street smart no, you know that's like all very true I just like you know Clark's like thanks for the help Jordan and he's like what yeah no. like don't defend yourself you did nothing <laughs> Um, so Russell does tell Clark that he would kill her for what she did. And I mean, like, I get it. Russell's a bad guy. But I'm also like, dude, you, like, literally stole her body. And then you killed her mother. And you're mad at her. Also, you were going to kill her child. So, so like. I have I have some feelings about this. Uh-huh. I read this, I think, a little differently than you did. I did not read. I mean, I do believe everything that he's saying. And I believe that he means it. Mm-hmm. But I think he can. I think he he knows that if she's feeling even a fraction of what he's feeling, and she must because of all of the things that she's lost and mm-hmm. all of the things that he's personally done to her, um, that she ought to fee- be taking her revenge out on him. And the fact that she's not means that she's – that it, it, it just means that he, he can crack her. And oh, I, definitely. And I and he's, he's not just mad at her. He's baiting her. Oh, he's – I did get yeah, that. Okay. I'm just saying, like, calm down, sir. He's not going to calm down. He wants her to snap. I need death! You know, and it's going to take a little while. He's working on her. And he's doing a good job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in this scene, it was really it was... interesting to see Clark's face because, like, she is better than him in so many ways, but she isn't as in touch with her emotions as he is. Um, I think Russell very much, while he deludes himself about facts sometimes, he does have a strong handle on how he feels. Well, and and also he's very emotional. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but I mean, there's, being emotional and being self-aware are very different things. Like, Nicole, are you listening? I don't know. My sister is super emotional, but has no idea, like, (laughs) that she is emotional or self-aware about what her emotions mean. Um... As opposed to me, who is an emotional genius, obviously. <laughs> um, uh, so I think it's important to distinguish that, like, he is not only self-aware about his emotions, but he's also a very emotive person. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Clark is neither of those things. I need death! <laughs> <laughs> um, I am 
interested to see more of a uh, of a Maury study of Kaylee, yeah. and I'm curious if this is going to be something that kind of plays into the larger season. Um, Kaylee obviously wasn't my favorite. I found her really irritating, but at least she was one of the better primes. You know, it's a low bar again. Yeah, but, but she's at the top of that list. She did at some point put a stop to the killing of babies. So you know, you, you know, got to hand it to her. Fell in love with one of the serfs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tale as old as time. Obviously. <laughs> um, but I, I I do wonder how much Kaylee's persona is going to come into play later on. Um, but I also do wonder, like, is this deception going to last very long? Because let's be honest, you know, even with this, Amori is not going to be the best at being Kaylee. They were very different people. And Murphy, <laughs> don't even get me started on Murphy, you know? So I, I'm i wondering how long this will end up being. And I also wonder if once, uh, once the Believers find out that they're not Daniel and Kaylee Prime, are they going to start worshipping them as Amori and Murphy Prime, you know? Maybe. Because yeah, they are Prime. They are Prime. I, I, it's a good question, and I truly don't know. I feel like I'm not particularly interested in them being primes for I mean, that I'm not long, either, but, but well they're I think gonna be primes probably for their whole lives well, unless no, they get I mean, the I mean being Kaylee and Daniel oh um, yeah but I don't know we'll, we'll see well because we'd heard uh last season that Murphy was supposedly supposed to get a more of a taste of what it was like to be a god in this season and so I just don't know if it's yeah, going to be like Murphy needs <laughs> Well, he, I think it's going to be like a negative taste. Like he's going to realize this is not the greatest. But I don't know if it's through Daniel or if it's like he himself, you know? No, it's a good question. Um, nitpicking here. Uh, but it seemed incredibly stupid to me that they would try and move Russell in the middle of a riot. Like, I'm no strategist here, but like... Well, I what I will say is the... the um, schoolroom has like no protection you so know? why would they put him there in the first place because that was where they were held like that was where people were like held prisoner mm-hmm. that was where they were held last season so I think that was like the de facto prison well um, I just think that it's stupid to put him somewhere that's not heavily you know protected or guarded and well, then try and move him in they the were of a they were guarded like it was heavily guarded but then the children of gabriel came the believers went crazy they released the I'm convicts just saying, there's just a lot of people i think it was stupid i i don't think they had much of a choice at that point um i think they it was either now or never so <laughs> i don't know i guess i think it's a much it's a symptom of a bigger problem and that i just did not find this scene particularly interesting again I don't find the Children of Gabriel Believer Allegis Convict trio all that interesting to me. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it was interesting to me last season, but I'm kind of over it now. I just, like, I think the mob scenes get really old really fast for me. Yeah. Well, because there's so little, I mean, like, there's so much emotion and so little emotional at the same time, you know? Well, I mean, there's just no, there's no time for character. It's just plot. That's what I'm saying. There's just no. Like, clearly emotions are running high with the characters, but also, like, we don't really get a look at the characters that we care about. Right. There's just not a lot of time for character development. Um, And it just, I I think they just keep hammering in that, like, sanctum fight. And so I'm, I'm curious, I don't feel like this can last more than, like, two three episodes tops this like fight between the the different groups because that's just not that's not going to carry a season no and so I, also, I like like Raven was saying it's a powder keg like they will exhaust each other very quickly well beyond that though I'm wondering what's going to happen after they've all clashed right you know 
I think they'll probably clash in the next episode or two. And then what rises from the ashes of that? And is it good? Is it bad? You know? Right. No, it's <laughs> probably a, bad knowing the show. <laughs> I would go with bad. Um, Clark and crew do end up deciding that I guess Amori and Murphy can live in the palace. Indeed. Overall, after all of that. Uh, and I'm still like, again, why would you want to live in Sanctum with all the, like, insanity that's happening around you? Especially because Miller's like, they're going to kill you in your sleep. But, like, sure. I I don't know. You will get burned at the literal stake. (laughs) As they do to Primes here. (laughs) You do, you guys. Clark comes back to the farmhouse late, and when Maddie tries to connect with Clark about the fact they both lost their mothers, Clark brushes her off. Gaia then shows Clark that Maddie has been drawing memories that aren't hers, and they aren't sure what this means, but Gaia promises to keep an eye on her. Clark tells Gaia that she's glad Maddie has her, and suddenly they hear an explosion back at Sanctum, and Indra and Clark rush off to check it out. So before we really uh, dig into this scene, I just want to say that I love that Maddie is an artist like Clark, and I wonder if Clark gave her art lessons when they were on Earth. I, I know. I, I think that's – I love that headcanon, and I, I think it's so cute. I mean, I know there's, like, a mother-daughter thing in this in this scene, but I also want to be, like, like mother, like daughter. Yeah, yeah no, know? totally. I, I, think, I think all forms of parenting are, are Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so, yeah, I, I just also want to say I loved this scene. Like, I know I've been really down on this episode, but I loved this scene. Um, I thought it was so interesting to hear Gaia explain to Maddie, um, sometimes belief is stronger than the truth, and, like, it's clear she speaks from personal experience, and I really love their relationship, too, and mm-hmm. I... I love how much Gaia loves Maddie and in her own right. Um, I just find it very endearing. Yeah, as much as I love, I mean, you guys know I love Clark. I don't always feel like Clark is the best influence on Maddie, whereas I do think that Gaia is a great influence on Maddie. I think Gaia <laughs> is like weirdly a great parent. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, not that Clark. I do think Clark. Well, cares a lot and obviously has a lot on her plate and that makes it hard to be a mother to Maddie well I also think like and we'll talk about this a little bit too you know I think Clark unconditionally loves Maddie there's Mm -hmm. no question about it she's her mom um I don't know that Clark knows how to be a mom yeah I don't know that Abby's style of motherhood uh to Clark (laughs) was gonna work for, for Maddie yeah um and you know Clark and Abby had a lot of a lot of tension, a lot of di- challenges and strains in their relationship. So I think if in, in an ideal scenario, if there was no issues, they could really work on it and Clark could focus her sole attention on being the parent that Maddie needs. I just don't think she has that kind of time. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, so yeah, love Gaia and Maddie as a team up. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, it does feel a little odd to me that Clark doesn't know about Maddie's mother or I couldn't tell if she doesn't know about Maddie's mother or if she was just like not thinking that Maddie was actually talking about her her real birth mother um yeah because it does feel like you've known Maddie for what seven years well six years here's my here's the way I I interpreted this and well you can tell me what you think Mm -hmm. I don't think I I should say I think Clark obviously knows about Maddie's mom I think when Maddie says, I know what it's like to lose a mom, Clark is so self-absorbed right now and thinking about her relationship with her own mother, she doesn't even register that Maddie is talking about her first mom. And when Maddie explains that to her and the fact that she had a whole life before Clark, 
there's a level of sadness and grief and jealousy and a lot of other emotions running very high in a head um, that doesn't have room to process already the emotional trauma of losing her own mother and it just shuts her down more like she doesn't even acknowledge it Maddie's like I'm not talking about you Clark I'm obviously I'm talking about my first mom or whatever and Clark's reaction is not like oh right of course I'm so sorry obviously like of course you miss your you like had your mom like you know I'm always be here for you but that doesn't mean you know she doesn't Mm -hmm. do any of the comforting that a mom would do in that scenario she just is like okay well I'm fine you know, she's not engaging. Mm-hmm. Like, emotionally, she's not engaging. She, barely scratching the surface of a conversation. Um, and Maddie, who is so emotionally intelligent, way more advanced than Clark is, I think, in a lot of ways, um, is just, she's so tired of trying to reach out to her and extend an olive branch and, a, and an outlet for, for Clark. And to get slapped and down. And to just get rejected over and over again. And she's worried about her. So yeah. there are, like, all these layers and complications of the way they relate to each other and their their own baggage um, that I think this just was beautifully written and beautifully played by both of them. Yeah. Cool. Little question here. Do yeah. we think that Maddie's mom died during Prime Fire, or is there, like, a different story there? You know, it's a good question. I was assuming it was Prime Fire, but I would not be surprised if we get a different story. I think it's probably Prime Fire. I think so too. But I do like the idea that there could be like more to Maddie's backstory that we don't know. Yeah. Um I mean I guess I don't like know a, why it would matter. There but. was like a note of like additional tragedy when mm-hmm. she said that that was like I mean, almost everyone died in Prime Fire. You know, at that point it's it's almost un- impersonal. Yeah. I mean, it's your mom, but almost everyone died you know there was like an, a note of extra tragicness that makes me feel like maybe there's more to the story but they may just not explore that mm. um yeah so I just again I just truly love the way they wrote this whole scene I yeah. thought it was fantastic um <laughs> and Indra Indra and food Findra <laughs> For the win. She just wants so badly to drink her soup and ignore all the awkwardness that's happening around her. Oh, my God, <laughs> She's right? just like, stay I mean, in your lane, Indra. Stay in your lane. <laughs> we haven't talked since the Mandalorian dropped on Disney+, Plus. but did anyone else get, like, major Baby Yoda vibes from watching <laughs> Indra drink her soup? <laughs> oh, my God. If only Baby Yoda was on the 100. <laughs> no! Keep that baby safe! That's true. Well, they would never kill Baby Yoda on the hundred I just I don't know (laughs) I um I also really love the focus and the time that they spend on mothers and daughters and the way that they contrast Indra and Gaia's relationship Maddie and Clark's relationship how Gaia views Maddie and Clark's relationship and how Indra (laughs) views Maddie and Clark's relationship because like all of these things these different perspectives and the way that they each relate to one another are so fascinating yeah I could just like endlessly watch a show about mothers and daughters on the hundred like I just <laughs> think I just love this I think they do it so well and I mean I guess conversely from mothers and daughters this is actually the first time we hear about Gaia's father um and I know that me and you have speculated before about you know where he is what happened to him um but it just does sound like he died when Gaia was young and that created a lot of friction between Gaia and Indra yeah. um because they both seem to handle grief in different ways yes and um, clearly injury it goes the clark way yeah <laughs> <laughs> and gaia is emotional yeah um so i did love that we kind of finally got a little bit more information there yeah. on their backstory uh and i i i wanted to get your take on what gaia meant by um indra driving her to be a flame keeper. i think mostly this means that 
that Indra couldn't give her the emotional support that she needed um, when she was grieving her dad, and so she found an emotional support system, and that was the flame, mm. and the, the community around the flame, and the, the religious um, organization, mm-hmm. and that led to her being a flamekeeper. And, like, what would her life look like if she was able to, if she and Indra were able to lean on each other in an emotionally positive way, and helped each other instead of growing separate and finding these new paths that neither of them sort of, that, you know, that are, don't interact in, in that community. Yeah, and what I also like is the idea that um, death sometimes brings people closer to religion and pushes them further away. Absolutely. And I think for Indra, it definitely turned her away from the, the flame religion, whereas for Gaia, um, needing something to believe in when her father died was drawn in even closer. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, I hope they continue to drop these nuggets because, you know, at this point in time, we barely know who Gaia is. Yeah, no, we need depth. We, we need dimension. I need depth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I really did love Gaia's line about who's the flame keeper without the flame. And I think this will be a running theme for all of the characters in this season of like, now that you've survived, how do you live? Right. And I, I think Indra spells it out very clearly. She says we each have a, a, to forge a new path now. Mm-hmm. It's just like you have to really dig deep and find out who you are, what you want, and what you want your identity to be now that you can choose for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so should mm-hmm. we talk about Kalia? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Clark and Guy. I know neither of us want to, but I, I don't want to talk about this, but I we think, have to. I think we need to. So... This scene between Clark and Gaia, um, they have a nice emotional connection here that I really liked when I first watched the episode. Um, And I definitely just saw it as Clark being happy that there's another person in Maddie's life who's there to, like, really support her. And Clark feeling, like, that connection with uh, Gaia on that level. Um, But then the script was released. And judging on the script... It does seem like this was supposed to be an inkling of a romantic moment between Clark and Gaia. Maybe the beginning of something. Uh, And for me, I had such a viscerally negative reaction when I read this. And it it was even more beyond just my irritation about Bellark. It was like something felt very wrong about this. And it like took a little bit of like self-reflection and digging for me to like figure out why and I think for me because we've gotten so little of Gaia from the past I've definitely made up my own sort of headcanon for the person that she is and her backstory and all of that and I think I never actually verbalized it until I had to with this situation I think I've always seen Gaia as arrow ace like aromantic um, asexual or on that spectrum Mm -hmm. and so This, like, idea suddenly that she and Clark had this sexual attraction felt really squicky to me. Yeah. And still kind of does. And I'm I'm definitely working now on, like, trying to dismantle my idea of Gaia and build something new. But I still don't feel great about it. And for one thing, it's because the show's never done anything to get me to this place. Um... And this is the last season, so I'm like, are you, are you going to really bring in, like, a new relationship for the main character in the last season? That feels odd to me. That said, and I know I'll give you a chance to speak here in a second, that said, I'm open to being convinced, but I need the show to really put in the work to get me there. Okay. 
So I think this is really interesting. I We've talked about this a lot. I did not I, – well, <laughs> I had a very similar reaction to you, a visceral reaction. Um, it wasn't wrapped up in any kind of headcanon that I had sort of configured in my mind. And I think it's super interesting that you read Gaia as Arrow or Ace. I don't think I assigned her a sexuality in my head, um, but I definitely could read her that way. Um, and I think it's a super interesting possibility, and I would have loved for them to have done an Arrow or Ace character. And I – now I wish that they, that they had. <laughs> um, but I I think for me, this, more than anything, is the Bellark of it all. I, I agree with you 100%. I, I don't appreciate them trying to introduce a new relationship for Clark or Gaia at this point. I don't, I did not read, I, I we watched it again and I was looking really, really hard. I didn't see, I did not pick up on any sexual tension or, or any kind of chemistry like that. I don't feel like the actor's, played it that way I but here's the thing and I you know this is just me I'm sure a lot of you feel the same I'm sure a lot of you don't I think it is incredibly offensive to the fans that they to the Bellark fans that they have baited for the and baited is a word I will use they have um for the last seven years over and over and over again and it feels especially offensive when they have relegated Bellamy to such a small role this season if they weren't gonna go to Bell if they weren't gonna ship if they weren't gonna sail Bellark that's one thing fine they don't I don't think these characters necessarily need a romantic relationship to be a fulfilling or a satisfying ending for them I don't know why we need to create a new ship in place of Bellark um there's a lot of feelings here I'm not entirely sure how to express all of them except to say that I'm upset I don't like it I'm gonna try really hard not to let it ruin the rest of the show because uh, I think there's a lot of really good things here and I have invested so much time and love and energy loving all, most of this show but I don't like it I don't like it I do want to agree with you that Rewatching the scene, and I've actually watched it a few times now because I was like really looking to see yeah. how they were playing it on screen. And you, I mean, like you guys know, for both of us, <laughs> we will ship almost anything. <laughs> it, I just like you don't. Could, you could blink towards another. Nelson character. and Raven looked at each other earlier, and I shipped them. But you could. I just, I just didn't get the romantic chemistry here. I'm going to see how this plays out. I will say, and I'm trying to keep this in mind, I think it's incredibly important um, that if they do go here, it, it's a it's a big thing to have a queer um, black woman, yeah. you know, in a in a woman-to-woman yeah, relationship. That's true. You know? I do, I, I will say, um, I do like the, this sounds really bad. I wish I could think of a better way of putting this, but the optics of this look great. <laughs> Uh, no, but I know. I, I just like. I think it's important to have that representation. Yes. If they had been planning on doing this, I wish they would have started it a long time ago. Yeah. Um. Not now, when we've already built up other relationships with other like, you, you know, like I mean, Bellamy is or half Bob Filipino. is half Filipino. Like, yeah. I, I I think that this is an important um thing to represent in the show, and it's not that that I'm reacting to right um and and I am trying to keep that in mind and to stay as impartial as possible so that it doesn't ruin my viewing experience because I don't want it to and I I want to want the best for Clark and you know if Clark and Gaia 
end up together and Clark is happy, I want to be okay with that and happy for Clark, even if I'm not okay with how the story in particular played out, you know? I will say, and this is the... We can move on from this after this, um, but the last piece of this that I think should be addressed is I really liked Gaia and Matt Clark's relationship as a friendship. Mm-hmm. This show, for a, all the, they have a lot of females, they don't spend a lot of time on female friendship. This is something that we've talked about a lot where, like, we just were told that Amori and Echo were best friends, but we got almost no character beats for it. We got, like, yeah. sprinkles. Um, I loved the idea that there was a deep and meaningful relationship. These are strong bonds. I mm-hmm. think female friendship is is super important. Um, we are social beings and we need it. Um, I really loved their relationship. I loved the idea of them bringing different aspects of femininity and femaleness as role models for Maddie. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm worried that the a romance could complicate that um and I'm just sad that this is not just going to be a female friendship because I really liked it um with that said we'll see you know weirder things have happened I will try we will both try um it's only episode one so there's still 15 more it was more. a low blow guys I will <laughs> say that it was a dark day it, it did seem particularly it seemed a little cruel to release that script after all of this drama with Bob Morley had happened. It, it was, was just a lot. It was a lot in like a week to two week period, you know? I definitely curled up on the fetal position on the couch. <laughs> that is a thing that happened. So But let's move on. This is just one episode and just we'll see what scene. happens. Maybe they won't even go there. Maybe they were like, we'll test it out in episode one. See where the story takes us and then nothing. Maybe. I, I honestly this was a huge shock to me, so we'll we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> this did not factor into my <laughs> theories for this season. The prediction to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving but on. moving on to a section that I like a lot better. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> we god. can finally gush about <laughs> the show here. again. So when Gabriel and the crew are running toward the anomaly, Gabriel makes them stop so they can inoculate themselves from the anomaly's toxins floating in the air. Before Echo and Hope can take the antidote, though, they get shot at, but Echo realizes that their invisible attackers are shooting to miss. They set up a track for their attackers, which almost is ruined when Echo starts hallucinating Roan and Hope hallucinates Octavia. But ultimately, Echo is able to shoot their attackers. And then together, the three of them hold hands and skip off into the anomaly. (laughs) Okay, so, like, obviously I've been super down on this episode, but guys, I fucking loved this scene. I love this (laughs) team-up. I love them. I just, I love them. This is what the show does so well. Yeah. This is what happens when it's running on all cylinders. I love it. This is why I love this show. Agreed. Um, First off, before anything, I love Gabriel geeking out about this, like, possibility of them having ray guns because i am sure echo and hope have no idea what that means <laughs> and again i say in which gabriel is mccabe that's what i'm saying gabriel's a fucking nerd <laughs> yeah he's you <laughs> he definitely watched star trek when he was back on I, Earth. <laughs> I feel like i've been like we, we always talk about which characters align with each of us and it's like becoming more and more apparent over the, just the course of this episode alone that like you are 90 percent gabriel like no i would say i'm I'm not 90% Gabriel. I would say I'm like a 50% Gabriel. I would say 60. <laughs> I wouldn't say 60. I don't, I think Gabriel is a Ravenclaw. Yeah, um, that's true. And the way that I approach exciting information is definitely more of a Slytherin way, um, which is why I feel like I echo, 
I echo Echo. <laughs> I feel very strongly connected to Echo. And in also many ways, Clark, um, yes. for her, like, logically thinking through a lot of scenarios. Yeah. No, no, of it's true. You have a lot of Clark in you. You have a lot of Echo. Whereas, you also like, have a lot of Gabriel. You are a lot of Bellamy. <laughs> a lot of Bellamy. And some Octavia. A lot of Octavia. <laughs> I've got some Raven. Yeah. So. I love all my Raven. Yeah. Um, anyway. So, um, but Echo... She steps out here and, like, basically makes herself a target for the uh, time pirates to shoot at her. Mm -hmm. And in theory, I love this because it is very Echo-like, but I do feel like this behavior is a little self-destructive that, you know, she has become... She's, like, essentially the soldier who's willing to die to, like, to, like, look after the people that she's you know, taking care of, which mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know a lot of our characters have been like that, but I do want Echo to kind of come to realize that she too has value and her value isn't just that she's a soldier, you know? A hundred percent. And I think it's, ex- I think this is exaggerated in Echo exactly because of what you were saying and that she doesn't have a, a real sense of who she is outside of she also has very little self-esteem that's I what think. i'm saying yeah so like there are a lot of characters who exhibit these kinds of self-destructive behavior and who put themselves in front of the ones they love um to protect them and harm themselves but i, I think i think the difference here i just want to say is for most of our characters it's like i'm gonna protect you because i love you but for echo it always feels like i'm gonna protect you because i'm dispensable right you know that's exactly what i was about yeah. to say yeah 100 percent. cool then we're in agreement. We are, we are in agreement. <laughs> and I, I do hope, and I mean, as we'll talk about as the scene progresses, I hope this is something that's going to be weeded out of her this season. Yeah, I, I would like some personal growth. And if it's given Roan's sudden cameo, my fave Roan is back, <laughs> it sounds like it will. I, like, didn't realize how much I missed Roan until miss Roan was back. <laughs> so much. My favorite is Geta King. Like, yeah. I love you. <laughs> I miss you. Um, Roan asking Echo without someone to follow, who are you? Just, like, this is the moment. I was feeling unsure about this episode until this scene, and then I was like, yes, this is the Echo content I signed up for. This is the show that I'm watching. This is what I like. This felt like the 100 at its best. Um, And I'm so glad that they're calling Echo out on this because me and you have talked about this so much, about her you know, like, feeling like she has to be a follower to everyone and she has to find someone who she can, like, um, be a second to. Attach herself Attach herself to. Yeah. to uh, that she just moved straight from Roan to Bellamy. Um, you know, beyond her being in a relationship with Bellamy, she doesn't act like it a lot of times. She acts like she's his, like, backup, his right, second, his, you know? his, like, bodyguard. Yeah. And that complicates it, too, and which is why I think it's in, in especially prevalent that Roan follows up with that and says you know a spy who you even who who would even portray the man you claim to love and it's like interrogating this idea of like what kind of love do you have for Bellamy well because there's definitely no question that she loves him it's more of a question of what kind of love that is you know romantic sure maybe but I think primarily it's that of a soldier to a leader I think that it's hard to love someone else when you can't say that you fully love yourself and I feel like that is something that Echo really struggles with sure for her whole life and it's hard to ask another person to put your needs before theirs when you're not even willing to do that for yourself Mm -hmm. um 
And so I love that Roan couples this idea, you know, they are inextricably linked with each other. This idea of like, who are you? What is your identity? And how does that define your relationship with Bellamy? Let's talk about that like a little bit. You know, these two things are linked and they're integral to each other. Because I mean, like, I'm going to do it even though I don't want to. We have to compare Bellamy and Clark's relationship with Bellamy and Echo. And Bellamy and Clark's relationship has always been one of equals. Like, the two of them make each other better. They are good at different things. And they're always co-leaders. Yeah. Whereas Bellamy and Echo has always been the leader and his second backup. Yeah. And I, I just, I think that's so important that the show addresses. And whatever ends up happening, nothing might happen with Bellark. I'm kind of thinking it's not. But I do want them to really delve into Bellamy and Echo's relationship finally and break after them up two seasons i well i just i need them to either break them up or to like address the issues that they currently have and make them a stronger pairing because right now they they're they're there's nothing there. There's yeah. nothing to their relationship. No, yeah. There's, like, almost no substance at all. And I do think it's also really interesting um, that we get this other cameo and flash of, you know, the real Echo here, who mm-hmm. she hallucinates next to Roan, which is, like, a nice reminder that Echo was once Ash, you know, that she even – she took her name. Um, so her, her – even her name is false. And this is, like, all wrapped up with this idea that, like, her identity is truly unknown, even yeah. to her. Um, it just so um, beautifully underlines that co- concept that Roan introduces like a second before. But it opens up so many possibilities for Echo this season to find out who she is. Exactly. We have a whole season to explore this, yeah. which I just am so excited about. And also, I <laughs> skipping over, I love that Octavia is the object of Hope's hallucination. Mm-hmm. It's so exciting. I mean, there's definitely some complex... Um, emotions behind that and emotions that hope herself doesn't understand right now because she doesn't remember yeah um but these are clearly memories that are locked away and octavia calls herself auntie O, and i just guys like am i more excited about anything this season aside from gabriel and code um i am so ready for this like octavia dioza found family with hope i am like that just feels like the best thing that could I ever just, happen like, in the hundred <laughs> i just want dioza being a chill mom and octavia being the like fun aunt yeah and like them doing a therapy session on a thursday it's like <laughs> <laughs> so i and i just i like the idea that octavia found happiness with dioza and hope and that like mm-hmm. i i think that i mean found families are explored a lot in tv shows but i don't think that non-romantic <laughs> speaking of non non-romantic couples like like someone like you and me like we're like very close we live together we like feel like a family but it's it's a friendship it's not romantic and i think that that's not explored a lot in um media sure and so i really love the idea that i mean i guess i guess theoretically hope and dios or octavia and dios could have had a romantic relationship i don't think, I don't so. think so i like the idea that these two people who are both broken in different ways had like come together and formed like a true family yeah a true family yeah I um, love it I and I'm excited beautiful. I'm so excited <laughs> so excited about this here's my so here we go I made a joke <laughs> it's, all these, it's not invisible it's not magic after all guys it's not time pirate time pirates just have a magical magical invisibility cloak yeah the time pirates have a lot of technology that we don't understand yet but I hope we will <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so 
Echo shoots all the guys here. We see that they're time pirates. We didn't know that before, although we've been saying it this whole episode. Um, I I wasn't sure when this when they first started getting attacked. I thought it was like a monster. See? No, I really, <laughs> I, I thought it was like lost. I thought it was like the smoke. Yeah, monster. yeah, exactly. That's why I kept being like, "Is this magic? What show am I watching?" I'm so confused. And it like reminded me of in Jurassic Park um not the like the remakes the, the new ones that they've mm-hmm. done where they created that dinosaur that could like camouflage itself mm-hmm. and i was thinking it was something like that or like alien versus predator where the like creature was able to like make itself invisible in different ways and it was taking bellamy and i don't know why that just seemed very cool to me um then i was like oh it's just the time pirates oh it's just you you no, know it's just you. yeah <laughs> um but i am obviously super excited to find out more about these time pirates um we we get a view of the inside of one of their like bug head helmets and we see that it's a computer screen and the computer is telling us that bellamy has been captured and is being taken to bardo um echo and gabriel are also supposed to be captured and taken to bardo but hope is supposed to be killed on sight yeah. So the one thing this tells us is that Hope is not on the Time Pirates team. I don't know what the other team is, but Hope <laughs> is, I guess, on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So either they had, like, incorporated Hope into their ranks and she has splintered, mm-hmm. or she was an enemy of the state to begin with. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, we're still wondering who that mysterious he is who has Dioza, you know? Yes, yes. And I don't know if it's these Bardo people or if it's a completely separate faction. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of planets out there. Yeah, and, you know, (laughs) humans have a tendency to fragment. So, as we've seen on this show a thousand times. Yeah. Um, I did want to say, like all great science fiction, um, these time pirates follow in the honorable tradition of being terrible shots, <laughs> just like their Star Wars stormtrooper forefathers before them. To be fair, they were shooting to miss. <laughs> they were shooting to kill Hope. No, they, he didn't get to shoot her. Echo killed him before he shot at I'm her. I'm just saying, like... Yeah, they, I, to be fair, they were actively trying to pirates. miss. <laughs> well, this, this does, like... This is interesting to me because I I guess I don't know what I thought about the Time Pirates, but I didn't necessarily see them on, like, the quote-unquote bad side, nor do I still know if they are on the quote-unquote bad side, but with them trying to capture Bellamy and Gabriel and, you know, uh, Echo, I'm like, what, what are they doing? They seem to be antagonists. We know that Clark and crew will be visited by a Time Pirate very soon, I would assume, in, like, the next two episodes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it just kind of threw me for a loop of what I had expected from the Time Pirates. Yeah, I think you were imagining, like, a sexy swashbuckling Time Pirate, and, or at least I was imagining that. I, I mean, I still am. There still can be. Uh, yeah, the, but they are definitely were more aggressive, I think, than, than maybe we were thinking yeah. before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> why... Why does everyone have to have the anomaly marks written on their face to travel through the anomaly? I guess I'm assuming it's to travel through the anomaly, and I know we're going to figure this out, but it's driving me nuts, and I want to know, like, especially when they have their, like, whole, like, helmets and gear on, and they're able to turn themselves invisible, why do they still have to have, like, marker on their face? You know what I mean? I don't know, but I'm sure we'll find out. But I want to know now. I know, Gabriel, we'll find out. Um... And then they all hold hands and walk into the anomaly. And I was like, finally, my love. 
yeah. is being explored. I think it's interesting why I, this is like both of our favorite you know this was definitely the most exciting part for both of us I think for you it's like a combination of the 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 three of them being teamed up but also this like exploration of the time travel Mm -hmm. and like the science and the anomaly and stuff and my thing is like I just want to watch the three of them together I don't care what they do I don't care if they like were sitting in a treehouse the entire time I just am so into this thruple it's like I never knew I wanted this and I need it so I I guess I wanted to before we like leave this this section. whole section um and you know I love the thruple too I want to speculate on what is going on um and so if we don't have time travel and we know that time is still working differently I'm assuming that that means that like some planets time moves faster and other planets time moves slower sure um which definitely reminds me of interstellar where they like they found this planet that was really close to a black hole and some of the team went down to the planet to check it out and they were down there for like five minutes and then by the time they got up to the the um, spaceship again like 10 years had passed and like the guy they had left behind had like been there for 10 years and so the thing with interstellar was it was like the closer that the planet was to a black hole the slower time moved on that planet okay so i don't know what the flip side means Okay. Like, I don't know then what it means if a planet is having time move a lot faster. I guess it could also involve a black hole in, like, a different way. Um, I mean, assuming they're using this similar science idea. Sure. I guess I just think of, like, the idea of time travel and speed. And because things, like, move faster or slower near um, a black hole time does too and so like that's if they're not gonna do like actual time travel I feel like it has to be something about that although I don't quite understand yet how it works but anyway that's not what I really wanted to talk about what I wanted to talk about was is so so I do think that Echo and Gabriel and Hope are all going to like be in the anomaly for a while yeah years do we think that Bellamy will also be there for years you know Oh my god, why are you asking me this? I have no idea. Well, I guess I, because like he does shave his beard, or like his beard gets shaved at some point. One could only when he gets back, yeah, onto the show. Um, but I don't know if that just means that like, you know, they shaved him when they took him in to capture him, or if that means that he's like been part of this group. And like, what I do worry is because we had seen a behind the scenes kind of leak earlier this year that Bellamy was in this like all white outfit Mm -hmm. um that either I'm assuming is like a prisoner outfit or he like becomes brainwashed in some way you know we don't know if he retains his memories when he goes into the anomaly that's true um I just think there's a lot of places this could go that I'm nervous about I'm very nervous for Bellamy I'm nervous about what he's going to experience there and how long he's going to be gone and by himself. Yeah, no, I mean, those are all really good questions and I hadn't even thought of that possibility. Of Sorry, bro. His men- memories. Now I'm absolutely terrified. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, those are all really good questions. I think I'm, I'm just going to not think about it until, <laughs> until I have to. I mean, it will probably be a while before we find out because I don't think Bellamy's in the next four episodes. Yeah, no, so I think it's going to be a, a tick. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, there is the the good part. Well, that's not true. There's like a little bit of good part coming up here in this oh, episode. Oh yeah, there was. I mean, um, like, like there was good parts sprinkled throughout. Sprinkled throughout. 
Yeah. It was it was a sprinkle. It was a sprinkle. Especially in like the first half of the episode. It was it was a very light sprinkle. A light shower. <laughs> but but here this was an excellent scene we just finished and now we're moving into kind of the the climax of the episode. Um, in Sanctum, Clark discovers that the Prime Believers set off an explosion as a distraction so they could sneak into the palace and protect Russell. Clark ends up going to speak to Russell herself to ask him to control his followers, but Russell gives Clark her mother's clothes, clearly goading her into an emotional reaction, and Clark doesn't disappoint. The girl loses it. She beats the crap out of Russell. She sets the palace on fire and then ends up screaming to all of Sanctum that Russell will die tomorrow. What Clark doesn't know however is that Russell is already dead. When Russell was knocked out, Shade had killed him and took over his mind and body. So I'm sure this is going to work out really well for us. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Uh, so there's a lot, a lot that happens in this scene. Um, first off, I just wanted to note that Nelson is definitely threatening to kill Murphy and Amori if they don't hand over Russell. Even oh, yeah. though Nelson knows that Murphy and Amori are not Daniel and oh, Kaylee. Oh, for sure. He's, he's playing a game. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it's, he's, like, clear about that. He's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I know. Still gonna kill him if you don't hand over Russell. Yeah, no, there's just no two ways about it. So I am curious how, um, what role Nelson's gonna continue to play in this season. I, I you know... I think he'd mentioned earlier on in the episode that his family or his parents still live here and he doesn't mm-hmm. even know who they are. So I'm curious if we're going to get more of, of that backstory and if we're going to f- have Nelson kind of find his own place and his own self. Yeah, it's a good question. I would love – I mean, I feel like we barely have enough time to That's true. D- explore our own characters' stuff, but I, I wouldn't mind getting more for Nelson. You mm-hmm. know, that could be a nice – it could be a conjunction of another plot line with one of our characters. It is true that I would much rather have, like, the characters that we know and love already have their emotional journeys explored more fully than, yeah. like, Nelson. I but think if we had more runway and if he was going to become a, a larger character in, like, more seasons, then I would definitely want them mm-hmm. to do that. But I, since this is the final season, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so Clark is trying to build a better society than what she's lived in thus far for Maddie to grow up in. Do we think she's going to ultimately succeed? So I think this is a really interesting question, and I think it's actually circling a slightly different question that I had to answer yours. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, I do not, because I don't think there is no version of society with the humanity that is pure, that Mm -hmm. is peace. I think when you raise a child, your job as a parent is to prepare them for life. Life is hard, no matter where it is, no matter what's going on. You know, if it's 2020 and there's a pandemic that breaks out, or if you're in whatever year this is and you're on a new planet and there's three different factions who all want to kill each other. (laughs) Like, life is always hard and unpredictable, and your job as the parent is to prepare them for that event, whatever eventuality, Mm -hmm. to the best of their ability and cope as best as they can. What I think is really interesting is... I find that Clark's fixation on what is good for Maddie and what is stable for Maddie is bizarre. Like, what, what, uh, what universe do you think you are living in, Clark? Well, I, I, well, let me. I just wanted to say that, like, I think there are a lot of things that Clark misses about her childhood. I think, in a lot of ways, the end of her childhood was the beginning of this show, and I think childhood meant simpler times for Clark because she's never had a rest or a minute to stop since she went to the ground and essentially became an adult and I think for her 
childhood should be as peaceful and um, as um, you know uncomplicated. uncomplicated as it can possibly be, which I think is totally fair. But ultimately, absolutely unrealistic for what they're going through. And Maddie is not that kid. Maddie's childhood looks nothing like Clark's childhood. She's had to deal with so much. And not that I don't think she deserves a break or she deserves a childhood. I don't think Maddie can ever just go back to being a like a, an innocent child who goes to school. She's just never going to be that kid. Yeah, I mean, I want to say that, and I think this applies to basically most parents I think Clark and what she's trying to do here is more about what she wants for Maddie versus what Maddie might need or want herself you know I think a lot of parents obviously want a better world for their their kid their their, their, their kid children children yes (laughs) their their children um they want their children to grow up um you know better off than they were in their entire lives I think that's just a very normal parent thing and I don't always think that that is what a child truly needs I think what a child truly needs is to be supported in however they want to live their lives um as they're growing up but then also to to learn the reality of the world and and like you said to like become prepared um and so sometimes you know what a parent wants for a child and what a child needs for themselves can clash for sure um and not that i not that i think that clark wanting to build a better society is like bad for maddie no 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 i just i think it's interesting to interrogate the psychology behind this mm -hmm. because i think a lot of times which would she uses maddie as a crutch to be like i want to build a better society for for maddie but it's like no clark you want you want a less complicated life and I don't think that it's like uncoupled from like your desire for for good things for Maddie but it's so much more complicated than that Mm -hmm. um yeah that's what I think (laughs) (laughs) um right what was I gonna say oh um I I really like this line that um Clark says when she goes uh no one else should die because what they believe and then Indra doesn't miss a beat and responds what other reason is there to die? Which is just, like, such a fundamental philosophy of this show and, like, a really interesting point. Like, it's a great question. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a a right or wrong answer to it, but I do love that Indra asked it, and I love that it was in response to what Clark said here because I do think she was very, like, nonchalantly throwing away this idea that, like, belief is not worth dying for Mm -hmm. when that's not something that the show has posited I mean it's definitely interrogated this over the years um and I like that we're sort of circling back on this central sort of tenet of the show yeah and I I think that and I'm curious if the show will actually do this but I think you can really expand the idea of belief beyond just like faith in religion or or faith in like some sort of higher power or higher meaning I think you could also just say that Clark and her friends have been fighting and dying for the hope of a better world for seven years like they I mean like they do believe that a better world is possible even though they keep getting slapped down time and time again and so I I, I'm curious if the show's going to really talk about that fact that like you your hope is all you really have in this world it's the most important thing you could possibly possess absolutely and like the and your belief that there is a possibility like belief as you were saying it's not just this idea of doctrine but as like just 
your own personal values mm-hmm. um is worth fighting for Absolutely. and your spirituality you're, you're and feeling I, that like this th- there's there's more that I can do there's more to this world than what I'm seeing and I and and there I have hope that it can change and that I can change it yeah I can be part of that change absolutely and I think it's really telling that Clark who usually you know that's like something she also herself believes you know that there is hope for a future or she wouldn't fight so hard you know is in such a weird mental headspace right now that she just throws this away well and I don't think that Clark at this point has really realized that belief expands beyond religion because I think she's grown up in a very um agnostic sort of culture mm-hmm. I, I don't think they really had a religion on the ark that I could tell at least well they had the like oh they did have mom. sorry I yeah. totally forgot they had oh like gosh. a whole religion it was like the earth religion yeah <laughs> but it I think for the most part it did not I mean there were very spiritual people but yeah, I don't, Clark was not one of no. them Clark and her yeah. family were not <laughs> yeah. in that um, so yeah I, I do wonder if they're gonna delve a little bit more into that this season because I think it's a really interesting topic to explore that idea of just belief in general yeah I think it, I loved it I thought it was great um but let's talk about the award uh worthy performance of Mrs. Eliza Morley um <laughs> this scene is just a masterclass in acting and I I can't even believe how talented I mean I can because I've been watching her do this for seven years but like holy shit I yeah. I mean to go from zero to a hundred in that short time span and then the emotional depth of this performance and like the layers of anger and pain and grief and trauma and you know guilt and all of this stuff that plays across her face and the different beats and the different ways she plays it is just honestly blew me away I I mean we talked earlier about how subtle Eliza is able to be um but I think when you pair that with this scene which is super in your face when she just loses control it just shows the amount of range that she has and this breakdown really feels like it's been coming to Clark for seven seasons now yeah you know like we we definitely saw her have a breakdown in season five when she was alone but this feels different to me because that was just her being alone she couldn't find food she couldn't find water you know she she needed physical things yep and then also missed her friends but this definitely feels like it's coming from a very deep emotional place where Clark has constantly for six seven years now just put every little emotion she has into a box and closed it and shoved it down and locked the door and locked the door and then like you know nailed bars to to (laughs) it so so no one could ever reach it and when you do that at some point in time boxes are going to open and if you don't have any experience in like dealing with these things you're not going to be able to shut them all again you know well yeah but you're also not going to be able to process them in a healthy way and what ends up happening is an explosion that's what I'm saying yeah, yeah. um all exactly. the boxes open it's and Pandora's she just- box here of emotions just exploding all over the place exactly the way Russell played her like a fiddle mm-hmm. um I mean, this is obviously what Russell wanted. He yes. was like, let me show you your mother's clothes, twirls mustache. Yeah, no, like, <laughs> here, let me just, like, wind up the toy and oh, let it go. Oh, I have something for you, Clark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, It's just truly breathtaking, and I, I, God, I just, I, I ache for her. I, the scene was devastating. I, I felt everything she felt. Mm. Um, It was, it was a 
pure visceral experience watching this. I just want Clark to get a hug, to get a drink, and then to take a nap. Like, those are the three things that I want for her. Absolutely. <laughs> take a nap. I did like this line uh, that right before the, the snap. <laughs> Thanos' snap. Um, <laughs> Russell was telling her, he was like, you know, he's questioning, like, how do you go on after all of this bad stuff that happens to you? And she goes, you take a breath and then another and that's it. And it's like, yeah, it's that simple. It's that simple, but it's so hard. It's it's that simple, but in many ways, this is also where she's facing her problems. This is because what gets you in She's trouble. not dealing with any of those things. She's just trying to live fully in the moment. But when you have, you know, when you're facing a trauma like this, you have to think about the past. You have to process the past and how you got to this place before you're able to fully move on into the future, you know? Yeah. It's so sad. Um, I did want to point out that on Twitter, several people were saying that um, Clark, when her dad was floated, was sobbing to her mother, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, and then here, of course, Clark is crying about her mother that I'm so sorry and I think this you know really just shows that Clark is constantly taking on responsibility for things that aren't her fault absolutely um she she bears the weight of the world in so many ways and you know I I think this is in large part um her issue (laughs) like like no one's really putting this on you she's taking it on herself and then obviously not dealing with it which makes it even worse um so I just want Clark to like be able to process this and to let go of the guilt. Like, she has plenty of things that she should and could be guilty for, but, like, neither of her parents' deaths are one of them, you know? No, of course not. And it's unfortunate that the people who could help her bear that burden and help her process are exactly the people she's grieving for. Yeah. Which is just extra sad. Um, And, of course, we get Clark smelling her mother's clothes, which was, like, oh, my God, devastating. Oh, yeah, that's the part where I, I cracked like yeah. an egg just correct um but switching gears here so russell's dead and like <laughs> he's dead guys now we have shade russell and i i'm asking this question like very seriously now that russell is or now that shade Hedda is like a dilf are we gonna be really into him because i'm already kind of into him <laughs> i don't know it's gonna take a long time to rinse the shade head a look out of my butt like it's it's gone for me yeah no I'm not there yet but I hope I will be I hope that the J.R. Bourne effect takes hold quickly very quickly <laughs> yeah I, I mean for it, me I'm very like very powerful so. he like opens his eyes and I'm like oh hello <laughs> yeah, no, I have I have no feelings like that but maybe they will come um so shade had a you know, now that he's in Russell's body, and obviously Clark doesn't know this, but Shade had a stops Clark from letting him burn to death in the palace by asking her what Maddie would want her to do. Um, and obviously, like, this ties into Clark wanting a better world for Maddie, and, and this this definitely feels like um, a manipulation from Shade Hedda, and too bad Clark can't realize that. I don't know if Russell... I mean, Russell wanted to die, and I think everyone knew that at this point. <laughs> I need death! <laughs> um, but So I like the way that he kind of subtly manipulates her. Um, and I also wonder, the, the real question is, is what Clark wants Maddie to think of her? Because I truly think that Maddie would be just fine with Clark leaving Shadehead to die, or sh- with leaving Russell to die here, Absolutely. you know? Absolutely! Maddie is like, are you kidding? He hurt you. He needs to die. Like, she has no qualms about this. This is more of, I don't even think this is about Clark think like I don't think this is about Clark 
caring about what Maddie thinks of her, but what Clark thinks of herself. Those are hard things to define, but it's, I think, I think she has a, she has a line for herself that she's crossed so many times and she's very nervous to cross that line again. Yeah. And I mean, she's never killed in revenge before. No. No, it's, it's, it's a, it's, you can't walk back from And in that fact, line. we had a whole storyline about that back in season three when, yeah, whatever, that was it Emerson? I think his name was Emerson. Oh, yeah. The mountain guy, when Clark, like, actively chose not to kill her, and she was like, I hope you live forever, and it was the greatest burn of all time. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I really liked that little scene there, and I'm, I'm curious to see how Shadehead continues to play Clark. Um, and to play everyone, especially since no one knows that he is Shade Hedda. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I just going back to your Delf point really quickly. I, <laughs> I just was thinking that like Shade Hedda seems ecstatic about his new body. Um, and who could blame him? Oh, yeah, he's like true likey. Although he was like telling the the other actor who plays young or not young, but like the the other the OG. first ver- the OG version of Russell. Yeah. He was like, I like your new body better, and I'm like, you know what? I love the new body. Also love the old body. The old I would body have was Robin either. Hood. <laughs> just fine for me. It was working just fine. Um, but I'll take J.R. Bourne. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about this speech that Clark delivers. <laughs> this speech at the end is is truly something to behold. I, I feel like never have I seen Clark this terrifying before. Like her friends are truly terrified because, like, as mean and judgmental of Clark as they are, um, they know that if she ever let herself truly go, like, she is capable of so much damage and mm-hmm. destruction. You know, like, a contained Clark is a good Clark. <laughs> this is an out-of-control Clark. She's, she's like a nuclear bomb. Unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Exactly. She is a nuclear bomb. And I... I just want all of our friends to, like, reckon with that. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about, is we saw Raven's face and Jackson's face as Clark is making this speech, and I just, I really hope that this doesn't set Clark back with her friends, because she's, you know, she worked so hard last season um, to get back into their good graces, you know, she basically just groveled to all yeah. of them, and I, I I don't feel like this here, this this version of Clark is the true Clark. Um, yeah, this no. is This is just you know Clark who's gone a little bit off the rails because she's been repressing so much of her emotions and she needs to equilibrialize a little bit and yeah. I hope they get that <laughs> yeah and I want them to to see this for what it is which is a true cry for help yeah and are suffering um and be a true friend to her when she clearly needs it yeah um yeah I know it's it's it worries me um I did want to note like it's so interesting like the language she's using is so almost dictator-like um and like she's couching this the speech is like all about freedom and the choices and like you know blah 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 but like it's like a it's a hate speech yeah you know like you it's using fear and intimidation to scare them into obedience um and to get exactly what she wants which is to kill russell um which I just is so interesting to me. To be fair, I don't think she's scaring them into obedience. I think she's matching their rage with her rage, which is equally as dangerous. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good point. Um, I did hear that the crew gave Eliza a standing ovation for her acting here. I heard that she only had to do it like twice because she was so good at this scene. I believe it. Um, and I just like, good, like Eliza freaking Taylor. Standing ovation. Claps I, for you, I, Eliza Taylor. I cannot wait to see what she does after the 100. I hope she gets other, like, 
morally and emotionally complex roles because I think she just she excels at it so well yeah she's fantastic um and it is funny just one last thing here that season after season they keep thinking they're the last of humanity when they're on the ark they're like this is the last of the human race when they get down to the ground this is the last of the human race in the bunker this is the last of the human race (laughs) now they're on sanctum this is the last of the human race and you know what we know that's not true because there are time pirates out there. <laughs> and lots of other planets. So humans just, like, keep on keeping on. Yeah. We are cockroaches, all of us. We're the, the weeds of the u- universe. And uh, I'm curious how many more humans are out there. Can't wait. <laughs> Can't wait. So okay. that's our episode. That was a recap. Let's get into some of our discussion points. Um, title meetings in this episode. I'm going to let Sarah kick this. <laughs> well, yeah, so, so the title of this episode is From the Ashes, which we've already talked about as, like, interesting choice i already thought this was an episode title guess it wasn't um but in an interview someone did ask jason if there was any significance to this title hearkening back to second dawn and jason said that it was not an accident that the episode was named this way um clearly you know hinting that second dawn in some way shape or form is going to become relevant again uh which essentially just means guys that cat again will rise so <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, other things to note about this title from the ashes. Um, clearly, clearly, this phrase is in reference to the burning pile of rubble um, of the society that they left Sanctum in at the end of season six, in which that they, they now have every intention of rebuilding. Um, which only goes to show like the best of plans. <laughs> yeah. Go literally astray. in one episode. Um, <laughs> and also refers to the literal pile of rubble that the palace is in at the end of this episode um and wait the- wait I, ha- I have like a real question to ask yeah do you think now that the palace is in flames will they let anyone live in the palace the palace is off limits <laughs> <laughs> even as a burning pile of rubble and ash um yeah so i guess the rest of the season is is them coming and rising from the literal and metaphorical ashes again again <laughs> It's not a lot here, guys. This is very literal. <laughs> um, let's talk about our favorite lines. Yeah, why don't you go first? Okay. Um, there were a lot, actually. Yeah. There were, a, there were a lot of really good ones to choose from, but I ultimately went with this one that um, that was the Clark and Indra exchange where Clark says no one else should die because of what they believe, and then Indra responds with what other reason is there to die. And I won't rehash everything we already talked about, but I do think that this is – I love when the show – there are central pillars of what this show is about – this is one of them and it's it's always great to see this show stick to its roots mm-hmm. and I I truly love this is one of the reasons why I love this show so much and it was great to see in the season in this first episode yeah you and me talked about three separate lines in this episode that were contenders for our favorites um, we ended up picking two out of the three the runner-up for us was Clark saying about you know moving on from trauma you take a breath and you take another um, that was just a really great Clark line I think but what ended up being my favorite favorite was also one of yours was um, when Roan called out Echo saying without someone to follow, who are you? Because this for me is signaling a character journey that I'm really excited about and that I've been waiting for for a long time. Um, and I'm really glad that they've hopefully decided to follow through on this. So, um, and I think it's also just a great question that kind of is in a lot of ways tying back to Gaia being like without the flame yeah what's a flame keeper um I I just think a lot of characters will be grappling with this kind of general idea throughout the whole season yeah I agree and that's it was a it was actually a a 
tie, a four-way tie, because my other favorite one was Gaia's version of this is without the flame, what is a flame keeper, mm-hmm. um, which is also fantastic. Yeah. So, so let's talk about our favorite scenes. Yeah. Um, I'll shall go first. Okay. Mine is, <laughs> mine, my favorite scene is, not surprisingly, um, the scene where they get attacked by the time pirates and Echo and Hope hallucinate. I just... I love a good hallucination. I love all the psychoanalysis you can do with these hallucinations. I think it's so fun. I loved seeing the cameos with Roan and Octavia and Ash, uh, or actually Echo. Um, So, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. It was super fun, and it was definitely the most energizing scene of this episode for me. Agreed. And, I mean, my favorite scene kind of is tacked on to that, and it is when Echo, Gabriel, and Hope finally go into the anomaly. Um, I mean, obviously, because I'm super excited to finally explore the anomaly, I've been waiting, but waiting just like Gabriel for like 100 years now, you know? Um, but then second off, I'm also just like, get the fuck off this messy, dramatic planet. Like, yeah, also like, just be with each other. Like, yeah, like, like just like the silhouette of the three of them holding hands and walking into yeah. the green light was just... I guys I fucking love it I loved it so much so I'm excited for episode two same um all right some season overall predictions um we should talk about who we think is gonna die this season yeah um you know I I will say I don't think a ton of main characters will die. Well, a lot of main characters have died already. We don't have well, that that's many. What, that's two. what I'm saying. We don't have that many left. Out of the ones left, I don't think a ton will die. I will say Clark was not on my death watch until the last few weeks, and she has somehow snuck her way back on that bitch. Um, hate it. Don't want this for her. Hope I'm wrong. Just going to leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> I, I will say the same. That's that's that. Yeah. Um. I think for me, I think Murphy is gonna die. I I hope that his death is an act of ultimate sacrifice in one form or another, and so that he himself can finally feel like he's earned his own redemption. That would be my preference. Mm-hmm. Um. But I do feel like you know he was he was brought on as like a one time extra, like literally one contract one episode contract, and they have extended it for seven seasons, and I. I just feel like it would be poetic for him to die. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I definitely agree. I think out of all the main cast members, Murphy is number one on my death list. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also think as a kind of smaller character, but you know, still big in my heart, I do feel like Dioza might die this season. I refuse to accept this. I don't I like it. Not. <laughs> but I feel like Dioza might sacrifice herself for either Hope or Octavia. I um, could see that. And, like, like, Octavia might take up kind of the mantle of, of okay, the mother of hope. Not I, really the mother, I hear but that. I hear a mother that. figure, auntie okay. figure, you know? Okay. Um. All right. What is our most anticipated for this coming season? Um. So, for me, I will say something that I am really looking forward to and desperately hoping for is Clark finally being at peace. This is not only a season um prediction or um, anticipation but a series long anticipation for someone who truly deserves a rest a respite I think we were a little bit hasty in saying that Goad would be our ultimate OTP because I do think Clark and Peace is an OTP that can't be beat yeah sure I haven't seen a hair of it uh so for now Goad (laughs) Goad is winning (laughs) not a not a sniff (laughs) 
Um, yeah, that's that's fair. I when it presents itself, a whisper, then we can talk. <laughs> but for now, goat is, is OTP. A bare whisper of what I'm feeling. Yeah, an agony. <laughs> the bare will. whisper of the agony. <laughs> um, obviously, as I gushed about earlier, I'm super excited for the Octavia Dioza Hope family dynamic. Um, I I truly cannot wait for that. I also do feel like both Octavia and Bellamy will live. Um, I just feel this in my soul. You know, I don't know if I'm right. If one of them dies, I think it will be Bellamy, not Octavia. I agree. But I feel like they'll both live. But I also feel like they'll ultimately end up separated forever on different planets. I think Bellamy is going to go back to Earth with the rest of the group. Um, And I do think Octavia will end up staying on one of the other planets to kind of help lead um, the rest of <laughs> the rest of humanity into the future. Because I do feel, and I'm curious how this season is going to continue to shape this this notion for me. Um, I think Octavia will now be a great leader. I do because too. she's gone through so much. She understands the pitfalls of leadership and like you know the the. Um, the depths you can fall to if you let yourself. But I think she's also seen some of the brighter aspects of humanity and and truly understands now um, both her dark and light sides. And because of that, I think she'll really be able to marry the two um, into a a leadership style that will make her very realistic, but also very hopeful. Yeah, and I think that's a great example of someone who is also emotional and emotionally self-aware. She wasn't. Not she, until she learned. good old Pike showed up, my bro. <laughs> um, but it's been a journey for her, and she's earned it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I hope that for her, too. Um, another thing that I'm really looking forward to so badly is Raven and Clark being back together in, like, an earned and satisfying way. I really want this for them. I know we've talked about it a lot, so we don't need to keep going over it. But I I just want it real bad. I do so badly. Um, I mean, for me, my most anticipated is... Oh. It's Cadigan, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. I when I when I, it's mostly for comic effect. I know. But I truly though, I I wouldn't know what I'd do with myself if Cadigan actually showed up. I at don't this either. Point. It's kind of a joke now. This is how I feel about Bellart. Yeah. Like <laughs> Bellart and Cadigan is a joke. <laughs> like the two. <laughs> oh my god, that's so sad. Um, um, but I I will say that you know Cadigan aside, I'm very curious to see what the prequel might look like. I'm withholding judgment you know I, I've I, I had a lot of a, a mixture of feelings I guess going into the season about Jason and the way that the show has been led and written thus far and we'll see how that plays out um, but if the same sort of leadership is taking over the prequel I can't promise that I'm gonna want to watch it <laughs> you know fair because I've really just I felt like in many ways we've had our emotions kind of yanked around in the hundred yeah we've we've um we've been a little bit teased and tortured and played with yeah and it's not super fun speaking of which and this is certainly not the last time I will say this but I think it merits mentioning that I do hope and I still in my heart want Bellark <laughs> and that will just be forever and always I do at least feel like surely no matter what we have to get some sort of bell arc scene because they they are the emotional heart of this show it's like the heart and the head they're co-leaders I I just I feel like we have to get something you know I don't at this point I'm not feeling like it's going to go romantic because I just don't think there's time with him not being in part of the season but 
I, I, mean, I want a great scene between them. But again, I say, what do you mean time? They've had seven seasons know, of them being in love. I just... At this point, it's like they've they've done they've waited so long that it like makes it hard to imagine them jumping back into it. I really thought last season was them revamping Bellark and again showing the two of them that they like are in love with each other and that we were gonna kind of flow into season seven from there. But that is clearly not the case. So <laughs> yeah, um, I I do wonder. I'm not sure how many episodes Bob Morley is gonna end up being in. We know I, yeah. he's gonna still be a series regular, but. We're, we're, we know for pretty certain that he's not going to be in the, the first four, and I think it's likely he won't be in at least half of the season. So I think that's fair. We'll see. Yeah. Woo. Next episode is episode 702, The Garden, and this is one that I am personally super stoked for. In The Garden, Echo and Gabriel learn more about Hope and her mysterious past. Um, in the preview we got, it does seem like this will be totally focused on Echo, Hope, and Gabriel, which oh, and and, and Octavia's and, backstory with, and with Dioza, Dioza and them, yeah. Um, which obviously is what I've been, you know, really hungering for ever since Octavia first went in and then came out of the anomaly. Sure. So I and I cannot like Dioza, wait. So I cannot wait. I'm also like super uninterested in Sanctum right now. So the so idea boring. of being off Sanctum for a whole episode is really exciting. Yeah. Um. So you know. I'm I'm feeling like I'm gonna be really positive about this next episode. Yeah, and I I mean again we'll talk about this in the next episode, but we we've both speculated that the garden is an allusion to um, <laughs> two serpents, one two garden, serpents, <laughs> one garden, which is Octavia and Dioza's battle over Eden, um, and kind of like the rejiggering of of their relationship. Yeah, but now they've found their true Eden that they can live yeah. together in peace and love. <laughs> so exactly. So more to come on that. Um, that was our episode. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can. You can always email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That's S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at SkyCast. You can tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I am at the Pearlman 89 And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. And that is our show. Um, until next time, may we meet again. May we meet again. Goodbye, Bye. guys. Bye.